0: Hey everybody, welcome to a very special episode of Tuesday Night Jaw on the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, my name's Jim Smallman, uh, if it's your first time downloading us or subscribing to us or just listening to us, then uh, hello, uh, a very special guest on the show this week, and that is Mr. William Regal. Now, the certain bucket list things I have as a, a wrestling fan, as a wrestling promoter. Um, progress doing a show at Brixton Academy. I mean, that's nearly checked off because it's happening on September 25th. Uh, Me being in the front row at WrestleMania, that's not happened yet. Uh, Me going to a Wrestle Kingdom show in Japan, that might happen. Me being asked to ring announce uh, Battle of Los Angeles for PWG, that's not happened and is probably unlikely ever to. Uh, Me becoming friends with New Day. Equally, that's not happened yet. But one thing I've been desperate to do since we started Tuesday Night Jaw is get William Regal on for a chat. I am lucky in that he's a mate. He is a mate in so far that I have supported him when he's done his stand-up tours in the UK uh, and he bullies me mercilessly about a perceived love of Phil Collins, uh, about how unfunny I am, and also uh, you'll know a little bit in this podcast uh, about... How thin he thinks I am at the minute because I've, I've shaved my head. I, I, I'm not particularly thin. If you've never seen me before, I'm really not. The, the graphic for Tuesday Night Jaw makes me look a lot thinner than I actually am. Um, uh, so it was, I, I, I'm indebted to Mr. Eagle for having a chat with me. Uh, giving me a couple of hours of his time. We had a great chat. We discussed loads of really cool stuff. I'm really fascinated with... Uh, His upbringing in the wrestling world, in Blackpool and in the UK as a whole, and wrestling in Germany and Japan and stuff like that. So we tend to discuss that more, and we do touch on WWE and quite a bit more WCW uh, during the course of the podcast. But it's just a chat, it's just two mates having a natter, uh, and I'm super, super proud of it. Now, obviously, when we mention quite a lot of the British wrestlers uh that Mr Eagle discusses, you can find a lot of that stuff on youtube so uh we had this last week with the new Japan episode D- keep a pen with you when you're listening to this if you if you listen to it while you're working or whatever, just note down a few things and then go ahead and find these people on YouTube like run and watch them and 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 see exactly why Mr. Eagle likes them so much um Also, uh, when he mentions WCW, I believe nearly everything that he did in WCW is now, maybe the Tours of Japan, um, is up on the WWE Network. And I'm presuming if you listen to this, you're probably already a member of the WWE Network. If you're not, it's especially worth getting at the minute, mainly because they've put all the episodes of Nitro on um and for someone like me who tended to watch raw more than nitro back during the monday night wars it's nice to be able to go back and watch all those episodes of nitro especially the early ones which regals on loads uh so you know do go back and enjoy those before we get to the chat usual plugs from me um if this is your first time listening to tuesday night jaw thanks genuinely thanks Go back and explore all the stuff we've already made. We did a a three-hour-long discussion that was a guide to the New Japan G1 uh, Climax Tournament, which has just started this week. So, you know, go back and listen to that. Go back and listen to our roundtable chats that we do after every WWE pay-per-view. Go back and listen to me chatting to Jack Gallagher or Carl Hutchinson or Chris Brooker or or Joel Allen from uh, from Suplex. Go back and chat and listen to all of those. Listen to me doing the Q&As if you want, but the the real gold uh, on the draft, of course, I've got to mention that. I mean, as I put this out, the WWE draft is tonight. I mean, Chris Brooker did do a mock draft a few weeks ago. Um, just go and have a listen to that and see how it pans out compared to the one that happens tonight. We change the rules a little bit because we can. It's my podcast. Uh, but if it is your first time listening, go back and enjoy all the stuff from the past. But also, please keep recommending this to people. This podcast grows all the time. That's the reason why I'm able to get people like Mister Regal on it. So. Please keep spreading the word. Use the hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw if you are discussing it. If you want to ever tweet me directly, at Jim Smallman, dead easy. Use the hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw. Tell people about it. Tell friends about it. Tell friends here in the UK. Tell friends in Europe. Tell friends in Japan. Tell friends in the US and Canada and Mexico. I want to keep spreading the word for this podcast and really, really make a difference with to wrestling fans by being able to provide just something a bit different. We are quite positive. We do focus on the positive side of it. Again, if it is your first time listening, you're never going to hear me saying, oh, I wouldn't have booked that like that. That's not what this podcast is about. I am a wrestling promoter, and therefore I see things, I think, from a little differently to as I did five years ago when I was just a wrestling fan and not a wrestling promoter and I complained about everything. Now, I love wrestling. Wrestling's a huge part of my life. I want to try and be positive about it wherever I can and that's the whole point of this podcast. So please spread the word. If you've listened to this on iTunes, then press the subscribe button add to our subscribers. That's great. Maybe give it a little review. Maybe rate it if you so choose. That's really, really cool. If you're listening through any of the other means, be it through the Acast app or through any other Android-based sort of uh, way of listening, then again, just keep telling people. Keep sharing it, linking it to other people, and letting people know. Because the bigger this grows, the better I can make it. That's all I ask. Um, so once again me on Twitter at Jim Smallman Uh, use the hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw if you're tweeting me about wrestling so I know it's to do with wrestling and not necessarily to do with comedy or football or the various other things that I tweet about Uh, my website is jimsmallman.com I've now put a special Tuesday Night Jaw bit On my website so you can see the list of all the uh, various episodes that we've done and also a link to all the various different ways you can subscribe obviously ACAST and iTunes are the primary ones but I've put a couple of other ones up just in case Um, so that's jimsmallman.com slash tnj jimsmallman.com slash tnj and that's the easiest way if you want to link to it and tell someone about it that you can let people know the previous episodes and also how they can subscribe um little plug To do with wrestling, Um, again, if you're not familiar with me, uh, I am one of the owners of a wrestling company in the United Kingdom called uh, Progress Wrestling. Um, I'm very proud of what we do. I know the three of us who run the company are. Um, We have various shows coming up, but the main one I need to plug is on September the 25th at the Brixton Academy in London. It's the biggest show we have ever done, ever. I believe it's the biggest independent wrestling show in London for well over a decade. It is massive. It's in a historic music venue. And I am super, super excited about it. Obviously, there's some tickets left because it's massive, but not loads of tickets. So if you want to come to it and you want to help support our company and help support the wonderful world of British wrestling at the minute, then progresswrestling.com slash shows. You'll find the information for all the shows that the ticket's available for at the moment. Uh, in particular, Chapter 36. We're going to need a bigger room again September the 25th at the Brixton Academy in London. So progresswrestling.com slash shows. And if you want to watch all the progress shows from the past, it is progress dot com, demand-progress.com, it will cost you about £5.50, because the exchange rate since Brexit isn't great, um, or it will cost you, if you're in America, around $7.50, I think, um, so demand-progress.com for all that sort of stuff, all the other progress stuff, progresswrestling.com, and I am jimsmorman.com that is the plugs over, let's have a chat with William Regal, and I'll be back at the end. Hello Mr. Regal. Hello,
1: how are you? I'm good, thanks mate. Um, for sure, I'm I'm certain. I'm I mean, always thinking about you. I was at the cemetery this morning putting some flowers on your comedy act, so I just thought uh and looking at you, dear me. Do you want a sandwich or something? I'll get you something. But I'm not I took, that you off thin. My, I took you off my Christmas card list. I'm not going to throw the money away. I'll just grab one at the last minute if you're still here. That was are you sure. You're all right.
0: I'm fine. Yeah, I'm unbelievable. Good. It's like I was thinking, how far are we going to go in before the bullying begins? No, no. Ten
1: seconds. Not, not, I'm just. Hey, it's just facts. Um, Goodness gracious. I um I wanted to
0: start with Yes. Like one of I've mentioned this on, on Tuesday Night Jaw before, and that was um the favourite start to a story I've ever heard. Yes. And it happened when I was working with you. You were doing your um, your your, your stand up show yes. in Leeds. Thanks
1: for doing them for me. I I, I, I love doing them. Mate. I, I love well. you doing them as well because well, doesn't matter how. Yeah, right? exactly what you've been on. <laughs> I could go out there and just bang a symbol and they'd love it. Right, Which, ten minutes of your act. So. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: me. It was we were sat in the dressing room in Leeds. John it was at the time, ah, yes. and it was um, yes me yes you. Um, my wife and uh, a British wrestler called Dave Mastiff all yes. sat in the room together, yes. and you—you um, you said the best opening line to a story I've ever heard, um, which involved you, uh, Josh in Thunderliger, yes, and I believe the Shetland Islands, yes. And I've mentioned just the—I've never mentioned the story because I can't remember the rest of the story. Just—I was so blown away by the opening.
1: part. I, I don't think there's too much of a story to it. It's just—I uh, forget where the story went, but. We were in when um, Liger was still flying Fuji Yamada, and I first met him in November. I think it was November the fifteenth, nineteen eighty-six. That was my first ever show for Brian Dixon um, after I'd quit Joint Promotions, and I was eighteen. And it was at Cheltenham, and so I was. He was here at that time, and so I was with him on every show. I was on oh, right. We travelled together. Mm. I would come down with a Blackpool car, me and Johnny Saint, and then we'd jump in at the windmill, not far from here, with Brian's car, which was, it would be Robbie Brookside, Liger, uh, whoever else was in, in the Whittle area or Liverpool. And one of the things was, in the, the, the following year, in 87, we ended up going to the Shetland Isles. <laughs> In, I think it was February, which was a, a glorious time to go up. There. It's a well-known wrestling hotspot. Well. It is, yes, yes. <laughs> well, it was. A, it's a smart thing to do, you know, because there's nothing else going yep. on. Take a show up there. More people should do it. I, I, and I don't. I think it was a paid show. I'm thinking because I, I don't remember anybody ever going again or doing in that when I was here. Anyway, so we, we went up and did a show in Aberdeen, and then. Uh, got a plane over to the Shetland Isles and I shared a room with... with uh, I still call him Frankie, um, <laughs> Fujimada, because they used to... When, when he came here, um, he had the shaved head, yeah. you know, he had a, a crew cut and his ears are rather cauliflowered and so uh, Rocco would give him the nickname of Frankenstein and it ended up... Because it looked like two bolts on his neck, <laughs> right. um, But we ended up sharing a room in the Shetland Isles and I just remember opening the curtains the first morning and literally there was like 500 tiny ponies running past the, the window and uh, me and him being in, in just like giggling and laughing that there was all these little tiny horses running about. But I, I think that goes on to tell a story about Dave Taylor at, who... were. Uh, wasn't the most pleasant of people when I first met him, and he'll admit to that he was a. Because you're anch- best friends, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. It was. We, we we we're very good friends, but he was a monster, an absolute monster. When he'll tell you himself, until he was the year after, he completely changed, mm. and he was just the night how he is now, happy People used to cross the street to get away from him. He was a fearsome, fearsome man, and you know he had that. He'll tell you, you know, he had that chip on his shoulder because he was the one that. He was always out of the country, working other places, and Germany a lot, wasn't it? Well, everywhere. I mean, don't forget when he was nineteen, he was tagging with Mil Máscaras in Arena, Mexico, and stuff. You know, people. If anybody ever put together of what, because he just, you know, he didn't go to America till he was forty. He started wrestling at nineteen, and and has literally been everywhere in Mm -hmm. the world, and was in demand everywhere in the world because he was one of those English fellas that could go and look the part look like a wrestler and could make anybody look like they could wrestle yeah which was a very very small group of people and i was lucky enough to be him being one of the fellas that helped me get into that little group of people so i did that sort of from 20 to 24 mm-hmm. that's when i sort of made my name um but you know he was all over the place but when i first met him oh, it, was a, it was a horror and uh we, we were just me and um like we were in the sat in the bar having an orange juice because I didn't drink. I never drank, had a drink till I went to America. Um, I soon caught oh, got <laughs> up. There for a while. I was just um, leaving that you know, in. Yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> it's been it's been a long time since I've had one as well. Eighteen years or something. That was time for me actually. Yeah. But I remember Dave. You know, was a could severely. Uh, drink a few and it had, there was a big 500 pound plant pot in the room in the, in the bar and he decided he was going to pick it up <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we were like "God, oh, this is not going to turn out I mean. and he was like and he actually moved it like this great big concrete thing for," and I like shoved it and the next thing he, I, I'm just I, I'm actually facing the wall, which was a lesson learned. I should have known better anyway but I wasn't looking in his direction and he f- f- smashed me on the back of the head and nearly knocked me out yeah. and said and I, and I turned around and like glared at him and he just glared back and went when I was 18 people used to do that to me <laughs> and, and I didn't do anything either because I'd have got my head cracked open and I was like taxi <laughs> time, time <laughs> to go <laughs> so he hates being reminded of that but um, yeah I think and I don't know where else the story went because you asked and, and I was obviously telling you for a reason yeah. but I don't think I would have told you that story so there was a it was just something.
0: I just remember it thinking because I, you know, I, I've I've heard some of your stories more than once because of supporting you on on, on yes. your stories and that. But I, I just remember thinking I've never I've never enjoyed an opening line to a story oh, more yeah. than just the thought of you because in my head, even though I knew he wasn't he wasn't just in Thunderliger at that point, so he yes. wasn't in in the costume. Really, just the thought of him yeah. chasing tiny ponies around, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the yeah. I mean, it was cool. Yeah. Did you? Because obviously he came over, he came over to Brooklyn to work uh, for ASC. Yes, RFC, yes. Um, last Summer,
1: SummerSlam weekend wasn't yes. it? Um, well, there was all kinds of things going on about that. It was all, it was just I called up and asked him. <laughs> <you> <laughs> know, <laughs> said, I, got an, "I said, what about what about Frankie?" You know, well, I think you could get him? Oh call and ask him, I, did.
0: I presume that's how it happened
1: I mean like that it? was as simple as that and <laughs> I'm getting all kinds of people saying there's all kinds of this going on and that no I just called up and asked him just ringing your mate isn't it yeah just like uh, you know because we thought that he was the perfect person for the job but it just happens that I've been around a long time and I know a lot of people yeah. and I, I get on well with a lot of people so it, it, it helps being uh, as I say being born in the right years is the only reason I'm still about <laughs> I mean truthfully because the only reason I'm here but I also know a lot of people before I ever came to America Mm. so because I travelled a lot and met a lot of people in different countries
0: I suppose that's the thing really isn't it I mean I suppose spending time with people in in unusual circumstances like that is going to travelling with people is one thing but knowing that You've been to the Shetland Islands with someone, or yes. you've been to, or you've been to. I mean, you've been to countless countries before you went to the States because you did a
1: lot of traveling before then. Didn't yes, you? I think I'd been to. Uh, before I went to America, I'd been to nineteen countries, which was mostly a couple before I was twenty. But from twenty to twenty-four, that was my traveling period. And, and like I say, that was a lot down to Dave. Mm. Um, and people like Dave and Pete Roberts who put good words in for me and Terry Rudge who put good words in because they were the three guys really that sort of did that loop. Yeah. a few other guys now and then but th- those were the three that were always out of the country working because they were in such demand mm. you know that you go and you go anywhere and look have a credible wrestling match with anybody and the promoters loved bringing in those guys because yeah. it, it featured their talent and made them look really good and it was you know they had the loop of germany the german tournaments and austrian tournaments and then you would have like india and south africa and anywhere else in between middle east and wherever else Mm. it was just those fellas a lot of places in those days i didn't do too much of the northern africa stuff but in like the 70s and early 80s Dave and Terry and, and Pete used to go to a lot of the northern African countries because they, sh- they showed Wilder Sport. Oh, right. Yeah. So you, you'll hear a lot of guys start talking about that, that they used to take tours over there with the guys and stuff. So um, that was it, really. That was my four years of sort of real travelling.
0: But when I you think- started wrestling, yeah. Like, I mean, you were up in Blackpool. Yes. And you were, I mean, sort of heard you speak about your, your youth. You were you were into wrestling. It wasn't like you came to wrestling by accident. Oh, no, action. no, you, absolutely you loved it. not. Loved it, yeah. I mean, wrestling and
1: reptiles, wasn't it? Yes, that's it. <laughs> and comedy and, like, British variety and comedy. That's the only things I've ever... And,
0: but when you started wrestling, did you ever think... Because I suppose it, the wrestling landscape was different in the 80s. In the, Until the late 80s, you wouldn't necessarily have looked at it and gone, I want to go to America, Like like... Lads who are training now think, my goal is, mm-hmm. I want to go to America, and some of them are, I want to go to Japan. But when you were starting out, I suppose you would have known about Germany, maybe, but you wouldn't necessarily have Do been you know, that I, in tune I with I really America. didn't.
1: I, I mean, the, I did. I knew that it was wrestling in other countries, because if you ever go back and watch a lot of the World of Sports mm-hmm. stuff, you would see, or you would hear Ken Walton say, uh, Ken Walton would say, this is Terry Rudge and he's just back from wrestling in Japan or Mm. this is back from Germany or he's dynamite and he's just back from being in Calgary. So you knew those other places. But when I started, I just wanted to be a wrestler. And I just wanted to be a wrestler at Blackpool Pleasure Beach because I thought that was the greatest job in the world. And so that's what I did. Mm. I didn't think I'd ever, because I knew I had no ability for this. I didn't, no no, no illusions about how I, I got to where i got zero athletic ability and just a desire to do this job and thinking well i haven't got a lot going for me but if i could just work there that would be the greatest job in the world because when you used to when i used to walk around because i obviously grew up watching wrestling from my earliest memories on tv but when i used to go there and walk around that entrance to the Blackpool Pleasure Beach and see those wrestlers there it was just like absolute magic just and just that excitement of Blackpool at the time and I want to that's what that's what I want to do is that I didn't think I would really get anywhere further than that yeah I was just happy to do that and thought I can work here forever you know and then you start realizing see most people this is hard for people to understand I didn't see any American wrestling Mm. till Nearly two years after I was already wrestling. Yeah. Because there wasn't any. When was your debut? Your debut was. Well, my actual. I started doing stuff at the Pleasure Beach in 1983. Yeah. So I'd have. Mostly I was in the crowd being one of the challengers to challenge the guys taking on people because real people don't make good challenges. They're usually drunk or they usually. or nobody comes up. Yeah. Or, you know, there's just. Bunch of loud, obnoxious fellas pushing the friend forward, and it doesn't make for a an entertaining challenge to, to draw people in. So I was at first one of that, and then okay, then they started because I was going there every weekend in '83 when I was 15. Then they started teaching me a little bit, and I'd have the occasional why they were sometimes it would take you'd have to go out with the guys, um, you'd line up and guy in a microphone and get a pitch, what we call a pitch, where you would have all the. The, the, the people walking in, you try and get their attention and then you'd do the you'd, you'd introduce the wrestlers, then you would show whichever wrestler or wrestlers were taking on people from the crowd then you would get either a real, very rarely a real one but the <laughs> fellas that we had in the crowd would come forward and say I want to fight him get an interest, people would go in but it would, it, depending on how busy it was, some day, days it would take I mean, 30 or 40 minutes to get enough people inside to to be able to do that. Yeah. And it those 30 40 minutes the first people that went in they were just sat there. Yeah. So they used to put on little matches and so I was doing some of those little matches mm-hmm. with like another guy that would like 16 or 17. There's always Bobby Barron was the only the guy that ran that was the only place that you could get in the wrestling business. Yeah. Unless you had an in there was no other way of getting in this job unless you had an in, and I didn't have an in. You know, if your dad was a wrestler or you were an amateur wrestler and you, you had an in somewhere, he was the only person that would give you an in. People have no idea. I'd never heard of a wrestling school until ten years after I was already wrestling. And and I, I'll be honest, it was a different time. Though, it was a different time. There was just no such thing as a wrestling wrestling school. When I first heard of that, I was I was intrigued, but I was a bit mad at the other at the other side of it. You know, now now I. Don't look, look, feel like that at all, but it was like well, this fella thing just go to wrestling school and just get walk in the door <laughs> like that, you know. And it was like, how does that happen? Because you got weeded out very, very yeah. quickly there. It was a, and I, I hate to go even bring that stuff up because people think you're exaggerating. It was a, you got hammered, and I mean, proper, proper hammered because they didn't want you there. Yeah. The, the old group of the crew of fellas that worked there. Bobby Barron would always give a couple of reasons. One, he was a really nice fella, and he would give young fellas a chance, mm-hmm. like Robbie started there. Right. Well, yeah. Robbie, he, he didn't quite start there, but that's where he had his first sort of break. And it was uh, the year before him, The year when I first started going there, it was a, a lad from Manchester called Ian McGregor. There was always, he had, a, what, was, you were the apprentice, basically. Yeah, of course. You yeah. took on as the apprentice. I was hanging around at 15, I became the apprentice at 16 when I left school and moved to Blackpool. But if you came on board, and, and the other reason why is because you were cheap. I mean, there's no, no doubt about that, that you were getting a five or a job and they were getting 15 or 20 quid. But if you came on board, which you always tried to get somebody, you were taking one of their friend's jobs because he only had a small crew of fellas and most of it, once you, he had a lot of shows outside of the Pleasure Beach and they were like holiday camps and, and little little places that just paid for the show mm. um, in, in Blackpool and Morecambe and Southport and, and, you know, up into the Lake District and stuff. You Most of those shows outside of the Pleasure Beach was just a paid show. You'd have four wrestlers, you'd do two single matches, and then all four of you would do a tag match. Right. It was a paid... So you were taking one of their friends, and they didn't want you to get in there. Mm. Believe me, you have no idea. You got hammered, proper, proper hammered, and, like, people would never... Looking back, and there's no other way of putting this, I mean, if if people knew what went on then, it's literally child abuse. When you're 16 and getting proper good hidings and and crying yourself to sleep every night and blood coming out every hole you've you've got, people have no idea. I I don't like sort of bringing it up, but that's what they did, you know? I mean, it was... I mean, it's funny because if you ever want proof of this, it's just recently become a thing that that Robbie brought this up and and so you can watch this on YouTube find marvellous Mike Bennett against Danny Collins right Danny was 16 or 17 well Danny had a a pretty easy walk in the door although he was an amateur wrestler he had he had an in Mm. you go and watch, watch that match Mike Bennett batters him and I mean proper does him in smashes the hell out of him that's what used to go on with these old fellas. It's worth watching that to give you some kind of perspective of what went on in this job to weed you out and and, and it was a lot of liberties really. It was a lot of liberties. but also I don't I, I absolutely glad I got all of it because it made me the person I am. I would not do I, I wouldn't do that to people, but I don't think it hurts to get a good hide in now and then or, or get put in every like Fit Finley says a lot most people don't sell well nowadays because they've never had a good kicking. If you know what everything feels like, and you know what, that's why your your ability to portray whatever you got to portray mm-hmm. is better because you, you're not playing at it. Yeah. And but also it gave me it, it made me into a man really because mm-hmm. once once I got to seventeen, I, I was still a scared little boy in the wrestling business, and I thought, what am I going to do to get out of this just being a scared, you know? And so I just basically thought, well. I know, I'll throw myself in the deep end. And uh, I just went and lied about my age, nobody checked and I got a job as a doorman in in the Tangerine nightclub in Blackpool, which was owned by the football club. And uh, it's gone now. And um, all of a sudden when you're you're stood on the front line of that, and that was a rough club, you know, with people trying to stab you and throw bottles at you and you're on the front door and stuff, all of a sudden I grew up very quickly. But it also made me... You know, I wouldn't have done that otherwise and, yeah. and, and, and you learn a lot of lessons and just how to to, to, to sort of get on with life um, and it was it, it sort of made me the person I was and made me into the person I am now I, I, like I say I would never do that to anybody but I don't think there's any problem in putting people, knowing what every hole feels like, how it yeah. should feel and, and knowing what it feels like to struggle to get out of them so you're not having to you know, Robbie does an incredible job at the pc of he has a great way of telling people and i won't say what he says but he'll explain put people in a situation right imagine you're in this situation and gives them an idea about selling well i don't have that great so if somebody asks me i'm just going to put them in it or put them in the actual old and make them understand why they shouldn't be moving that way or shouldn't be doing this that way and why it makes no sense to do that he can just tell them to this, these certain situations he puts them in without actually creaming them which is a nice thing mm. yeah, but he will he will do that if they're not picking up on that so you, that's how you learn how to do this job properly and not just as we say play at wrestling right mm. um, but we, this is getting all a bit long winded isn't it but, I, don't, um, I don't mind mate, I'm perfect after <laughs> but <laughs> that that was it really so I, I had no we well started talking about going to different countries right well I was happy working there and I didn't think I'd get anywhere. And then when I was 17, I got introduced to Marty Jones and he sort of said, right, come and train with me. So I I was starting to train, I started training with him at 17 every Sunday morning in Manchester and completely retrained me and Mm -hmm. taught me how to do this job properly. Not that I wasn't getting somewhat taught before, but I wasn't really, I had basic training and then I got, I worked with the same two people most of the time. Steve Peacock, who did, who was, great to wrestle but did a comedy act yep. and a very good comedy act that's where i learned a lot of the stuff that yep. i can do and uh dave duran who, who i ended up being a friend of mine and, and was a good fella after but again he was younger mm. and he took a lot of liberties and he hammered me every every single day just i mean i'd work with him three times a day sometimes mm. and if you look, look at it sometimes six times a day because i'd be in the tag with him as well on these <laughs> shows and he would proper give me a good hiding you know i mean proper do me in um and so but that all sort of that ran its course and i just started saying well you you know i'm not gonna give up Mm -hmm. anymore that was actually down to one fella from manchester from here one week dave jordan wasn't on the shows and i was about to quit i was i just could not take another kicking i i I literally i had my back was in, I was that much pain and, and literally coughing blood up all the time and starving. Oh, I was God. making no money and, and I don't want to sound, This sounds like a cause it but it's not but i just had enough. I thought yeah. I'm not, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not cut out for it. I've got no skills. I'm not going anywhere. I want to work here but it's obviously not going to work out and um, Dave Duran wasn't there for the week and a guy from his, uh, called Ian Wilson, mad dog Ian Wilson who was at like a, a career pro, great villain. He um, he turned up for the particular week, and he came in and said, "Like, right, what do you want to do?" And I was like, "Do you mean what do I want to do? Well, I don't really. I just do whatever I'm told. What well, can you do this and can you? Yes, yeah, yeah. And I have a match with him in in uh, Grangeover Sands in the Lake District, and he's flying all over for me and that and, and doing. And I had had a week with him and that what, first match was what kept me in this job if it wasn't for that week I would, I would not be here today
0: so it was that final margin that final margin of away?
1: me walking away because I just could not take another kicking
0: when you were because I think this is the thing Like it, it's, I suppose it's, it's almost a generational thing like it's probably hard for people to imagine you at the age of 16 yes leaving home yep. moving up north to, to Blackpool yeah um, and just thinking right I'm going to be a wrestler now there's a couple of questions here one is how I mean how did your parents react to you doing this and the second question is is, is when you were 16 did you know the na- the true nature of the business I mean did you did you know that that it wasn't necessarily 100% legit and or did you presume you were going to have to go out there and learn to to fight for real
1: um, well because I was going there when I was 15 yeah I'd I, I, somewhat figured it out ok um, and I was sort of let in a little bit I didn't get treated badly when I was 15 I didn't get knocked about at all because mm. I was just a kid uh, I, the first day I actually went there I have to backtrack a bit I'd had a, I had actually met some other wrestlers in, in the Midlands area yeah. before I ever went to Blackpool because my uncle used to go to the pub with one of them and he ran a few shows at the time and he'd sort of told me about the strength of the job Mm. and I had a few little, I did have a few little matches like I trained a bit with him and had a few little matches for them at like, I remember at 15, I can't imagine how rotten that was but (laughs) like Cosford Cosford Aerodrome, you know they had a fate there, and he right. had a little thing going on, at, and then at Wolverhampton at the like the whatever the show it was, and I was we were in a tent there, and oh I can't imagine how bad they were. <laughs> um, but he just stuck me in with somebody, you know, and they basically put me in and out of things. That, yep. What I would do later on in life with people, but they put me in and out, and I was just this little kid, right? Um, so then I started going up to Blackpool at the same time. So I I had somewhat of an idea, but then and this this is absolutely true, and this is another thing you see, you start talking people think you're making this stuff up, but it's not because I'm not one of those old wrestlers who back in my day.
0: No, you're very honest about stuff. Whatever yeah. we've chatted about it.
1: So Colonel Brody, who was um Sean, um he wrestled at the time as Magnificent Maurice. He was the guy taking on the straights, the challengers, right. and he would take on the straights, right? He, he was a, a big, hard man, mm. a big, hard man, F- fearsome, to be honest with you. Um, he'd been in and out of jail a lot, and he, he didn't suffer fools gladly at all. He could definitely do do the business, right? And he knew how it was a proper. He'd been trained well by, you know, Dave's dad and people, and there was a lot of people who spent time with him. He, he knew what to do. And was not frightened of fighting anybody. So my first day turning up at the Pleasure Beach, I just pay just to go in, right? I'm just watching another, I'm kidding. I walk in, watch the show, part of the show, and I don't know whether this is what's going on, but I've sort of, cause I've been watching for a while before I've gone in and I'm watching the same people keep coming out to do the challenges. Yeah. I go in. But all of a sudden, there's a fella jump because he'd done it. The, the things with the fellas that I'd seen going in and out, right? All of a sudden, this fella dives in the ring, which I found out later at, at my own expense was something that happened all the time there because there was all these drunks in there. Yeah, of course. And people come to Blackpool, right? They leave their brains at home, they, they're all drunk from the, the time they get there at the lunchtime or even before. Well, we started at 12, mm. 12 till 5 every day. <laughs> You can imagine what that was like, right? Just a, a lot of, I mean, bad things, like you could not imagine that. that I love that, that, the buzz of it and the excitement of it, you know, and, and that, that's probably a problem <laughs> that I did. I used to like that kind of that atmosphere, but it was frightening sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. Right, and it was frightening a lot of the time. Like when I was, not frightening, it was a it was hell of a buzz. Frightening for a lot of people there. I, I loved it, to be honest with you. I just thrived on all that kind of atmosphere. You never just never knew what was going yeah. on, right? But all of a sudden, some fella jumps in the ring from behind, and I don't know, because I thought, I, well, I don't recognise him. Grabs Sean round the, the, the back of the head, because he's still working with this yeah, one yeah. of our fellas. Next thing, he's dragged him over the top and kicked him in the jaw, and, and it's the most horrifying thing to this day I've ever heard. This this fella's jaw went up, and f- like literally, it, the, his jawbone smashed the side of his head. Oh. And there's blood spurting everywhere and people are screaming and this fella let out a scream that like, I've never heard before. It was like just something you'd hear <laughs> on an animal programme. Like, ah. And, and, and that was, it was just all chaos and I'm thinking, oh, this is great, all this excitement. But I found out that's what happened all the time there. Yeah. And uh, it was just madness, you know. I mean, I was there the day, this is a, a bit of a folklore thing in Blackpool, but mm. I was there this particular day and I was 15 There was (laughs) in the in the White Tower building at the front of the pleasure beach where we had the wrestling. There's nine bars in there. Yes, one one cabaret room and nine bars. Well, they all used to be open. They're not anymore. There's only I don't think they open any of them in the daytime. Mm. But they all used to be open, and it used to be a busy place. Well, the horseshoe. Yes, well that's that's the cabaret bar. That's where the wrestling was. In fact, the first year I was there, it wasn't at the horseshoe bar. It was downstairs in Diamond Lills. (laughs) which was a there's another down there's a big set of concrete steps that goes down from the level and it's closed off now but there was another bar down there which was called that was like a wild west themed bar and the horseshoe bar is is where they do the mystique still do uh, like magic show in there now still
0: I've seen you tweeting about it, right. which is why it pops in.
1: Well, well, when I went back there, the following year, then it was back in the, in the horseshoe, but it was downstairs in Diamond Littles. Well, there's only one way in and out of Diamond Littles, <laughs> and that's down a big flight of concrete steps, which <laughs> is the steps that, if you see from the outside, it go all the way to the top. It's a right. big spiral, huge, big, wide spiral concrete staircase. And this particular day, we were doing our show there, and we just hear a load of screaming. We're already doing our show, and I mean, screaming, and I mean, pandemonium outside, absolute pandemonium. And next thing we shut the doors, so the doors shut, and lock everybody inside our place, which was just one set of doors to lock it. Lock, and we just, there's screaming and pandemonium, just horrendous, like screaming everywhere. You can hear hundreds of voices screaming. Eventually, we get the all clear, we come out, and what we found had happened was, the week before, there was a—I a, think it was a, a group of fellas from Manchester. Well, it was a group of fellas from Manchester had come and got into an argument with one of the doormen mm. on one of these particular bars. Right. And they were a group of Scottish fellas that I, I knew a couple of months later on. They, they they ran the place. That there was a whole team of them, all the brothers and that, and friends. They all ran all the doors in there. Well, this this particular week. All these Manchester fellas came back on the train, stopped off at Woolworths, all got Stanley knives. And literally 50 of them all come flooding into the Pleasure Beach and did every single doorman in there. And I mean, did them. And one of them, I won't say his name, but one of the doorman got, and I remember this, never forget this number, 664 stitches. Oh, my God. Carved him to pieces. And so we came out of there, and we're going around, and there's just clatter all up the walls, and it was just, that was just a, that was the kind of stuff that went on there. And you're he, are you
0: 15 when you. Said I'm
1: 15 when I and saw And you think, I'd yeah,
0: I'd quite like to move. I'd like here. to, love,
1: I'd, I'd love to come back here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, what were you like as a kid? I mean, were you? I was a horrible little bleeder. <laughs> <laughs> really, I, I find
0: I'm, that hard to believe. Because you're, yeah. you're a nice bloke, I find that hard yeah. to believe.
1: I was. um Oh, I was a horrible, horrible <laughs> little swine and and one day I woke up when I was just just turned 15 and I thought why am I acting like a, a, mm. this idiot you know stop just stop it yeah because I already wanted to do this and like just just stop it just mm. stop being an idiot and it just stopped and that I was just the way I am like this you know apart from a couple of years of my life probably in 97 and 98 yeah. when I'd gone off the rails most of the time, I've been the same as I, I I've always been since then. But I just at school, I, you know, I could be a bit of a I, I know, I, I just didn't messed about a lot and that and just, you know, I, I was what I was. I was a bit of a something definitely quite odd when I was very young. You know, like yeah. I'm I, I make no bones about that. I've got no faith in anything and. I used to go to a convent. I don't know what you know, sending me to a convent. But <laughs> no, no it's some of the conversations we've had and, about and no, I, this, and, I was actually, yeah, and I was actually, <laughs> I was actually not. And and although I'm I'm Christian Church of England, we, you know, nobody in my family's, you know, they're just mm-hmm. all. That's why I never, I never, never, never around any any kind of religion. And and all my family were polite, lovely helpful nice people so I've never yeah just it is what it is right that's your thing great Mm. but I I just never it was never a thing with me right but I remember I used to get knocked hell out of that's another thing I tell my children now about getting no I was getting caned at school all the time till you know I don't think they stopped that till I was about 13 I was still getting caned when I was 13. We're 10 years
0: apart and it was the sort of thing that it genuinely when I started school it Punishment
1: like that only just stopped when I started school, okay. so it would have it definitely would have happened. Yeah, I mean, I,
0: oh, there was no yeah.
1: doubt. It yeah. I, mean, do you know what I mean, unless it was just me, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Of course, I don't faces. I don't know, but um, it was. And I, I remember because I, I just—it's a weird thing. I just never believed in any any of that stuff at all. And uh, I got hammered once by the nuns. That I mean, they used to have these little thin canes, and they just all started whipping me like in this class once (laughs) sent me to the headmaster to get to the big house to get you know hammered again basically that you had the you had your choice you got six of the best and you could either have it on your backside on the backs of your legs or on your calves and you know it was just like oh oh, if if depending what kind of sometimes you'd be kind of do it on your hand right but most of the times i got it across the back of the legs or whatever That, that was wicked um, but they were sending me. They just, they just all give me a bit of a clout, and then they were sending me into the big house to get another one. And I, I mean, this is not right when you, when you're seven. And I was seven. I walked in, and and I'm, I'm, there's going to be people listening to this. They're going to condemn me. I, but I'm just telling you <laughs> the way a seven-year-old strange mind works. I walked in, and as you walked into, you know, it's like just old creaky house, and you, so I just. And just got to wait, and that yeah. was the worst bit—waiting. It's not not getting, weak, you know. I got used to getting the cane, and that. it's just that waiting. Especially when you're seven, and yeah. it's like all oh, these this old house, and it's just and you're just waiting, and they make you wait. And when you're a kid, waiting seems a long time. Yeah, right, a lot longer of than in, in reality. And the whole as you walked in the holy water thing, you know, the little dish was on the like a brass thing on this. And I just never believed in any of that. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to get the cane anyway. And I'm going to, I don't know what was going through my head. I ripped it off the wall and threw it on the floor and just put my hands up in the air waiting for some <laughs> big lightning bolt to come down. And nothing happened. And so that, that, that was the end of that for me. I thought, there's no, there's no saving me, you know. But, um, and when they came out, and I was already getting hiding. And when they found out I'd done that, they gave me a proper hiding. Which is rightly so, you know, because that was, if, like I say, if, I, there's no question about what, if you believe in something, then it's real. Mm. It, it's there's no question. I don't get into arguments with people. It's just I personally don't. But yeah. if you you you, it's something you. Who, who, who am I to tell anybody what they should and shouldn't believe in? If you if you believe in something, you can. Um, so anyway, you, you, we're getting all over the place <laughs> with this. Back to the American stuff yes. that you were asking about before. We got off a, onto a topic there. Um I would get the occasional American magazine mm-hmm. when I was younger and they were so hard to get. Them. So I knew about American wrestling. I knew that Kent Walton would mention yeah. um American wrestling or or from Calgary or from Germany or whatever. And occasionally in the odd, odd news agents you could pick up an American wrestling magazine. And I just devoured them right mm-hmm. it was, and, but especially that the rings wrestling magazine because they had a, a list of different countries I think it was that one that had the different countries that were, what was going on and you read all these exotic names and countries and and then also the different territories in America where you could yep. see who was working where Well, like you know I didn't know that at the time just that these places with all these wrestling, and I didn't know if they were good or bad I just saw the pictures of them yeah. so like I thought well, maybe one day, once I started doing this, well, maybe that sounded like the place to go. And once you saw American Wrestling, when I saw it, when I was, i have been 17 then. Mm. Oh, well, this is something, back to that. Now I started thinking, well, it'd be nice to go there, but I still didn't yeah. think I was capable. It wasn't until I was, you know, probably 18 or 19 when I started, then I really thought, this is somewhere I want to go. Because yes. I wanted to still do all the German th- Stuff and I wanted to do that, but I thought eventually, that's where I would like to go because of just seeing the production and seeing the how it was, and and really because you thought, well, that seems to be the best place to make a living. Mm. But I wasn't. If I didn't go, I wasn't bothered because at the time I knew that the usual thing for the British wrestlers was, and and I was quite happy to do that. If it didn't work, you know, I was. I didn't realize it was all going to come to an end a few years later. I was already left, luckily for me, uh, unfortunately for a lot of my friends, it, it all came to an end in, in like 96, 97. the timing was pretty... Exactly, pretty that's good. why I always say, right, born at the right time. Mm. If I hadn't have been born in 1968, I wouldn't have been, come into this job uh, at the age that I did. Um, I would uh, Everything that happened, happened, being born at that time, I wouldn't have been able to work full-time for the first couple of years and not have anything expected of me in a small company where when this, the, the people didn't expect a lot from the wrestling then. Sure. And, and people that were going to these shows I was on, it was just a couple of little wrestling moves because that's all they knew, because that's all they'd ever seen on of World of Sport. They didn't know anymore. And so I slowly got better. Then when I started working for the bigger companies, and especially for Brian Dixon when I was 18, after I'd, I'd had my run with Joint Promotions. Getting to work with the best pros in the world, yeah. and I did get to work with the some of the best pros in the world. And, and, and for many era, you know, I was 18. I was on with all the best people. And you know, by the time I was nine, well, 18, I was wrestling Robb Rocco and Fit Finley and all these people. And being around these people, and then from like 19, because I, you know, Brian Dixon knew once, I wanted. I was getting bigger and bigger, and so well, you're going to be a heavyweight. So then he started mm-hmm. putting me on with. Dave Taylor, all that. Whenever Dave was in the country, anyway, and, and Terry Rudge and people like, and you go I mean, in a different skill level and league to even what anybody thinks of in this day and age. You have no idea because of just the experience that they had, mm. and and it was, and so I was lucky enough to learn all that. So everything worked out good for me, um, but you know, the the usual thing if you were a British heavyweight, the traveling guys was Germany six months a year, and then. Couple of trips to Japan, um, two six-week, used to be six-week tours of Japan, two six-week tours. I never got to work in Japan until I came to America.
0: I was going to say, because you you went to New Japan when you were in WCW, did you? Yes. Because I saw you tweet a picture the other day, didn't you? You, you, Chono, Hashimoto, and... Muto. Muto, yeah. Yeah. um, Because we did a a New Japan episode of this last week, Mm. where we were trying to give people a a primer of it, people who didn't understand the G1 and stuff like that, and we were talking about the history of it. And... You wrestled Hashimoto a fair bit, didn't you? I've, I've, I've certainly
1: I've watched a couple of. Couple videos. of matches, yeah, and then we tagged a bit, and we, you know, I was very fortunate. They took me out. They sort of, they liked me a lot, and I was part of the New Japan team really mm. in the last when I was on. That, that's that picture I think, which yeah. was. And it's a, a great bit, pat on the back for it's you. It's a though. bit of an honour, yeah, that they'd take me on on their team. It was to me anyway.
0: Um, it would have been. I mean, I suppose were you happy to have? Because obviously, by the time you went there, it would have been. 1994 I went there in 94 yeah. yeah so were you happy to have waited that little bit longer to be that little bit more experienced yes. for the first time went in went to Japan so yes. pre- presumably so they're not I was not first seven, seven shades out of you.
1: I was first supposed to go because of Liger and Fanaki yeah um, UWF Fanaki yeah came over in in 88 came back to England i just got back from was it 88 or 89 they came I, I think it might have been yeah, it was '88. I just got back from my first time in Germany, mm-hmm. in Hamburg, and I was a different person from what Frankie had seen when I was 18. Obviously, I was 20, and I was in really good shape. And, and I it was, would have been you would have been wrestling at least once a day, wouldn't you, as well? For those oh six yes, uh, uh, it was six weeks. Or just it was, no, six just weeks. that the first tour I had to Germany yeah. it was in '88 was to, for six weeks at yeah. Hamburg, and but. I I was full time, but I'd also got myself. You know, I was a complete. I was a in, in great shape then and whatever. So he hadn't seen me for two years. Yeah. All of a sudden, well, I'd like you to come over, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll leave it to people's imagination. But there was a lot of people got kept out of Japan um, by the people who went there from here. Right, and uh, I uh, I felt I felt. Feel even stupid saying this, but one of them said to me, "Give me your um, stuff," and I, because everything was done hand to hand with, and I, I, I know that personally because when it was WCW, I, I was the person they used to give instructions to in an envelope to hand to Eric Bischoff. Right, and obviously you know that they trusted me, to, but they never called people or any. It was all a lot like that. Finley had the same thing when mm. he finally got there for that one. Junior tournament he was in. I said, "Where have you been for the last five years?" "What do you mean?" "Well, we've been telling such and I such to, to tell you to come here, and yeah. and he hadn't been telling, obviously." Ah, uh, People a lot. looking
0: after their own. Spot.
1: Yes, and yes. there was a lot of that went on. Well, that same person <laughs> had uh, said to me, "Oh yeah, that, like I said, just give me your stuff. I'm going soon, and I'll take it for you." And it just happened that a, a couple of years later, we were in. Brian Dixon had two cars. And we were in his other car that he never used much one day and Frank Cullen, uh, Chick Cullen was in the back and he went, he had him to pull the, There was like the leather, the yeah, luggage yeah, yeah. rack and he pulled and he went, what's this? And pulled out my photos and information. Whoa! That, that certain person had just took off me and stuck in the back there and not bothered to tell him. So I should have actually gone around about when I was 20, which I would have been ready for, to be honest. I don't, because yeah. I, I was, you know, I was pretty good then and, and, and I could, I'd start going... You know, the next year was when it re- really took off for me. As far as I was going to South Africa then, and you know, I was twenty, but I was mm. pretty good at that. Because you were only what 25, 26 when you went to the states. I was twenty
0: four. Twenty four. Yeah. So I mean, that's and that's certainly in in those times is it? I mean, people are getting you know yes. they're getting sort of taken overseas younger and younger these days. You yes. Know. But yeah. back then that's that's really young to be going over there, isn't it?
1: Well, it, it, it didn't seem, like, you know, like people st- still. I'd been doing this, not so much. You know, I had done it for like nearly ten years by the time I got there. But you can't really count the first. You know, don't count until I was sixteen because I was. It wasn't until I was sixteen that I actually had had a proper job in this. Sure. But in the first two years, we're not really much. But I'd had some pretty serious schooling mm. in in from eighteen to to twenty. For you know, and and I mean, from from 20 onwards, without a doubt, I was considered good enough to to travel around the world. And which those jobs were just non existent to people, Mm -hmm. you know. One of the most friends you are with Dave Taylor, they would never ever put anybody in unless they thought they were absolutely Absolutely. good enough because it looked bad on them. It's
0: it's the same when I'm doing stand up, if someone says recommend me do a game, you only do it if it's gonna. I
1: tell people this all the time just because you're friends with somebody and you always want to look after your friends, but never put anybody in unless they are 100% Absolutely. can do the job and a professional because it always it comes back to you. Of course it does. A lot of people don't care about that, but it's it's a big thing, right? So um, I should have gone then, but I didn't go till after. Sure. Um, but, you know, when I went to, where did we start with this? I I'd go off in all I these different directions. It. I'm just I, happy listening. I, um, <laughs> we, um, so from 20 onwards, I was... Pretty good. I, I went to America at twenty-four. I, I would have been ready. You asked me about going to Japan. Yeah. I would have been ready at twenty, and I should have gone. I, not that I should have gone. It was just one of mm-hmm. those things. I have no, absolutely it don't was, hold it any. Was that, it was down to a, a small set of photos. Yeah, but been, it, but like it was parents. just no, 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 um, no grudge. I, honestly, I have no time for that stuff. in my life. No. I, I, I'm very, very fortunate in my in the way I am. I don't hold any kind of resentment for anything. I, and I just get on with things. I just don't think there's time in your life for it. Not really. and it's just, it's just not, You know, I just if I don't, I just won't deal with them again. You know, it's mm. like I can't be bothered with any of that. I don't get jealous. You know, I've never cared about what other people are doing. People, I, I tell people, what good is it? Wasting your time worrying about what somebody else is doing. Make yourself better. Mm. Now, something that might drive some people. It certainly doesn't. It's just wasted air. you know, head time to me. Because you, every second you're you worrying about or getting envious of what somebody else is doing, it's a couple of seconds you could be working on your own act to make somebody notice you, right? What's but about it's that? easy for me to say because I, I am that way. I'm not competitive in any way. I've ne- probably helped me if I was a bit more competitive, but I'm just not. I, I've never, like, I never played a sport. You know what I mean? It's just not in me. I, I just not. I don't care about that stuff. I just do me. Yeah. And and so I, I get it, you know, because I get people are competitive, but.
0: It's but, just a waste, I've, isn't it? Man? But I've, I think it was maybe the first or second time I ever did a show with you. And I remember hearing you saying that to people, when people ask questions mm. about that sort of competitive nature of it. And comedy's like that. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I'm going to adapt that attitude. And this is, this is what, three or four years ago we first met? And, and I adapted that attitude. And you know what? First of all, my career got better because I was no longer, I was no longer always looking at what other people oh, were doing. Was I was bothered. I was concerned with myself. But also, I'm, not, I'm a lot happier. Because mm. I'm not, exactly. I'm not sitting there going, oh, "Why well, am I not on television?" And that yeah. person is well, yeah. because it's happened for them. It's not happened for me. Why You're not on
1: television because they've seen you. Yeah, dad. we know that. Yeah,
0: I was just, just setting it up. Sorry, yeah. I was <laughs> just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, um, no, I'm, I'm, let me go on record as saying, if go and see Jim because uh, he's, he's he's very good and he's not going to be here much longer. So it's, <laughs> um it's, it's One thing I wanted to no, do, I remember um,
0: a little while ago. um we, you, you, sent me, you sent me a couple of emails and they were just uh, giving me matches to watch. Yes. And they were uh, British matches. You mentioned Terry Rudge a few times. Yes. One of them was a Terry Rudge match. Um, and I know that one thing that we've done through doing this podcast is we've recommended stuff that people might not necessarily have seen. Now, there's going to be... If you could give us a couple of... However many names you want to, but a couple of names of, of British guys that people might want to go and look up on YouTube. They might not have seen... And, and sort of give them that added sort of education of, of people that you look up oh, to. Yeah, I know Terry Rogers
1: is, is a big one. Terry Rogers was the best person I've ever been in the ring with. Mm. And Finley will tell you the same thing. That's an art, right? You, yeah. You've got two people who people think are pretty good at this. when Just exactly what a wrestler should be and wrestled the way a competitive wrestler should wrestle. Yeah. Um, and looked the part, you know, and just it was good. Um, but there's some great matches with him um, John Cortez was like a, a, a middleweight version of Terry I right. think they sort of came from the same area in gym I think but John Cortez who watched those matches against John Cortez and Steve Gray from mm-hmm. Wembley That I think that's the same match where it was Daddy against well, the, the the big one think so. I think so I think so I think so but there's a match set of them too, and John Carter. Everything looked like a struggle, and just mm-hmm. just no, you know. I mean, there's, there's different types of British wrestling. There's the Johnny Saint does the escapologist style better than anybody, but there's a lot of it is is, is very clever and good, and I like watching it. But there's no there's no real struggle in it, and mm-hmm. I, I do like to see like when Johnny Saint did it. It, it looked like because yeah. he looks like a man. He, he looks different than he's got a proper the physique and he's yeah. got he just looks the way he does everything and the way he carries himself and there's a lot of stuff that's all a bit just nice it's nice wrestling it's, it's pretty and it's nice and I I appreciate it sure but John Cortez and Steve Gray when when they did it there was that edge to it yeah and the sure. set, and it that's what I like watching because there's that on the edge of your seat kind of thing it's not just oh that was lovely mm. that was a nice bit of wrestling which I enjoy as well yeah. but John Cortez was fantastic um, I do from your trips to Germany that sort of stuff Germany yeah. especially in, the, in terms yeah. of the, the perhaps more obscure European names yeah the, I mean um, Franz van Boyten his son yeah his yeah. son Daniel plays At least in Man, City, Man City, City yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, he was phenomenal. There's some stuff on there, and he's in his fifties. Then on on YouTube, there's a chain match against him and him and Dave Taylor. All oh, right, and uh, just he never stopped working. He'd blow you up. So you'd put him in an headlock. When, that was a, an education itself. When I first got to Hamburg, you thought you thought you were good. I thought I was half decent anyway. Yeah. And I go to Hamburg, and the crew was like Van Boyden, um Terry Rudge. Um, a guy called a Colombian guy called Indio Guayero, who was fantastic. Another guy was fantastic, Indio. <clears throat> and they were all you know, Terry was yeah. forty, but they were both in the fifties. They blow you up just just lock you just holding on to him. Mm. Never stop. They were just machines, you know, and Van Boyden, you'd stick him in a headlock and it just non stop trying to get out of it, you know, people just sit in things nowadays and he was just non stop working, yeah. trying to get in and out. It kept you just riveted watching it, you know, but mm. I, I, by about two weeks into there I thought I, I'd, I'd never done anything yeah. I just thought I don't know anything anymore. you know it was like a, what am I going to do because I, I don't know if I can keep up with these fellas but you obviously you adapt right yeah, and that's how you got so coming back from Hamburg that first time was was a brilliant lesson for me and it was a shame really because really a lot of there was only a few of those fellas about as the years went on after that mm. first time I went in 88 and I know like by the time Chris Jericho got there the the Indio was there but he was he was really pretty old by then and like cuz I asked him and he said oh he wasn't he didn't do a lot then he still did a lot when I was there yeah, I was sure. there from 80 uh, 88 uh, 89 and 90 and they were just machines you mm-hmm. know they were on the that last really good run of their lives um, and France Van Boyden was good um, that's, I, I, he's he asking me to put me on the spot now but there's that many of those British fellas that were really really good I mean so whenever I've seen you doing the, the, the spoken
0: word stuff and that yeah. I mean, you always you always speak so highly like last time we were together in, in Manchester you introduced me to Marty Jones who, yeah, yeah. who you Martin, know, I chatted fantastic. to on the internet but I'd never met and yeah. you know and, and uh, well Marty,
1: Marty I mean he's just got such an incredible TV career of mm. matches I remember watching it when I was a kid. Yeah, and, which, which mean, blew me away meeting him. It's yeah, like I, I, that, I watched him when I was a kid. You know, there's that thing that I, I, I'm always championing, but it's it's without doubt the start of the what considered the, the you know the junior everywhere cruiserweight style. Now was Marty and Mark Rocco mm-hmm. in like they were doing it from the early 70s, but the first time it really noticeable was that one match in '78 that they do mm-hmm. where Marty's got the Red Tide song. No. The, you go back and watch that today, and it's still as good today. It, it's as good as anything you'll see, and just the, in fact, in, in a lot of ways, it's a lot better than a lot of stuff because just of the, the aggression in there and just the way they're doing stuff and everything was all told with wrestling, you know, and and that's the first time you'll ever see any of those kind of really vicious backdrops and mm. and and the and the bumps that they're taking and stuff, but it all made sense and everything was for a reason, but those two. Um, all all of Marty's stuff, you know. And then he sort of got, he, he sort of got heavier and bigger. And just the stuff once Rocco left, the stuff with Finlay that he did in the mm-hmm. early eighties, and then, and, and, and you know, there's that great match with Owen Hart that he had in, in eighty six. Yeah. Which you said you linked is, to yeah, a while ago. Yeah. Magic, you know, it's just stuff that. Yeah. You'd be, you watch that today. Imagine watching that in nineteen eighty six when you, you'd never seen anything like that. Never seen anybody doing that stuff that Owen was doing then, those spots no. that he had. And tying it in into a long championship wrestling match, you know. And it's like, what
0: what is this? That's the thing, is knowing that knowing that nothing has been like that before yeah. makes it even, even more, more astonishing when you think of it. Yeah. It was the same, we were last week we were talking about the the, the Tiger Mask dynamite kid matches. Yes. Which, you know, the first time they did that in Madison Square Garden, you can hear people going, we have no frame of reference for this, because okay. we've not seen... Well,
1: you go back before. and watch the, the Rocco and Marty Jones mm. stuff. People and that's four or five years before it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so. and, and that's why you know I, I always bring that up, because people think that all started in 1980, mm. and it didn't. Because if you go back and watch, and I was watching you know, everybody at that time, if you go back and watch Dynamite at that time, I, I, I was lucky enough to watch Dynamite when he first started. Mm. Not only on TV, but also... At Wolverhampton Civic Hall, because my dad used to take me to wrestling every two weeks, so I was watching him from when he was sixteen. But he had that very, although he was fast-paced and, and aggressive, he always had that traditional British sure. wrestling style. It wasn't until he went to Calgary and sort of came back, and you can see the difference when he came back. He had there's a, there's a match of him and Rocco on um, World of Sport. Mm. It's a different yeah. style of wrestling altogether. Uh, but that was all at that time period, you sure. see, and and and. Tiger Mask, before he was Tiger Mask, was in England as Sammy Lee, and he was he had his act down, but it wasn't what he was doing afterwards. Sure. But they, they had to keep up with Rocco, right? They, 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 they was trying to keep up with him. It was 100 miles an hour, and um, so it, it all sort of developed from there. There's no doubt that that was the, the, mm-hmm. the start of that, but they always get the credit for it, and, and rightly so in some ways, because sure. they took it to a different level, but that was definitely the start of it all. With, um, with Rocco and, G- and Marty Jones yeah. um, and Rocco in himself for watching any of his but Pete Roberts is another guy who yeah, was, one. was a huge influence on me did you, did you go to Japan all the time yeah. Yeah. yeah Pete Roberts was a, like an old Japan reggae. he was a new Japan guy to start with but then him and Stan Hansen are best friends and when Stan went he That's went I swear the name I heard yes. you mention it before but I read Stan Hansen's yeah. autobiography not too long ago and he does talk that so they had best friends but Pete was like the, the wrestler's wrestler of people sure. Everybody watched in England and everything, you know, people asked me for advice and it was a piece of advice that he gave me. I was 18. I was lucky enough to wrestle him two days before I got married. It was one of my last ever matches for job promotions and I had no right in being in there. I was just not good enough to be wrestling Pete Roberts, but I was. It was, uh, I think it was in St. Albans. So it would have been the 6th of November, 1986. I can remember that because my wedding it was on the 8th. Um, and he sat me down. I, I, you know, he led me yeah. through a match and was nice enough. Not to you know, because Pete could go. Yeah, Pete had trained ex, you know extensively with Carl Gotch and before even that, he was a Jiu Jitsu guy. You know, right. Pete was a, a He's legit legit guy. Yeah. Could have took a liberty with me, but didn't, and, mm-hmm. and knew that I'd been trained. I think that helped me a lot as well because of Marty. Once I got in with and, and people knew I was. Attached to Marty and training with him, I sort of people started showing me stuff. Then. And like he's obviously gone through the ringer else Marty wouldn't have took him in. and Marty's put him through the ringer which he did, you know. Like, he, <laughs> you know, uh, that's what I learned. You know, because Marty was trained by Billy Robinson and from being a kid, and I got put through. So I knew, I knew my stuff by then. So, but I just, I really didn't know where to put it in a match. Yeah, although you. I was learning a lot of it, wasn't that? That's when I always credit Robbie Brookside for that. Because at the same time, when I was 18, I met Robbie and then I started wrestling Robbie a lot and actually and matches. And, and because he was a couple of years older than me and had he'd left working for Bobby Byron after a year and gone to work for Brian Dixon. So although he was getting hammered by a lot of these old fellas, mm-hmm. Mike Bennett and Terry Jowett and, and people like that, they were also teaching him a lot of, although they would give him a bit of an in which they did. They were yeah. Some of his stories are horror stories, you know, what they did to him. Um, but they were also having, they didn't want, they didn't not want to have a good match. So he sure. just learned how to do things really well. Yeah. Um. So then the stuff I'd learned with Marty, I, I, I wasn't really getting a chance to do it in any matches because I had nobody to really do it with, mm. apart from when I was at the gym. But then I got, I met Robbie in the summer of uh, 86 and I, I wrestled him for a week for Bobby Barron. Because he, he just come back to work for Bob for a week, and I, I like all of a sudden. With by the end of that week, I was so much better because right, we'll put this in this round and this and that, and we'll try this. And if it doesn't work, we'll try that. And I was like, well That's what he's like because he's two years older than me, so he had all this experience. So all of a sudden, the wrestling stuff started, I started knowing where to put it, yeah. But, but I still wasn't that ready because once I went to work for joint promotions, which was that same time. I was straight away basically stuck in the Big Daddy tag matches and so I was just selling. That's why I quit. People think, I, you know, I, was, I started getting on TV with Big Daddy but I was just in these matches and I was all I knew I was I was only going to sell and I was stuck in that role. So I quit. But luckily for me, I got to wrestle Pete Roberts. It's a lot, everything with me is a long-winded thing. No one minds me. Pete asked me, I sat with Pete and Pete said to me, I said to him afterwards, is there anything you can help me with? And he said... Uh, he said, "The only bit of advice I'm ever going to give you," he said, "Make everything you do mean something else. Don't bother doing it." Mm-hmm. So I said, "Well, could you?" And I was, you know, I wasn't just going to go, "Yeah, yes." Could you explain that? He said, "Yeah." He said, "Most pro wrestling is just people doing stuff um, and not making sense of it." He said, "Give everything a reason and why you should do that and why you wouldn't do that. Even in because some of the things we do don't make any sense, but give if you give them some logic." you will react to everything, you will make everything sure. react in, in, in the way that it should be done. And you can tell us... You, so he, he basically broke down that saying. I mean, it's a never-ending quest to get to there. I'm still trying to work on that stuff now because I'm always like looking at ways of trying to develop the art form, mm. especially in this day and age where, you know, for NXT, where it a lot of close-up camera work and stuff. Sure. And you've got to really think about or just the drama of telling stories in that, you know, which is what seem, people seem to like so it's like why do you do this well why would you do that and, well most people don't know you ask them why do you do this or why do you do a, a drop down you know So well because it trips somebody no you don't how's that going to trip anybody <laughs> idiot you know <laughs> if it's, you know what I mean well it's, it's what we, we, you know, you're not even looking at the father you only drop down to avoid contact because you don't want to get it and you maybe been hit once or, and then if you think like that, you actually you look at the fella and see, and, and you can actually portray the fact that you're not in a position to hit him or to throw him because he's running at you because mm-hmm. you're just not in that position yet. And at the last second, you have to use it to avoid the contact. Same with a leapfrog, you know, he's not just leapfrogging because you can, because yeah. that's just moves. But he's running towards you and you're still not in a position to throw him or hit him, and you see him, and at the last second you leap over, and then. That's when things start meaning something. And he gave me that lesson. So I've I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking
0: about, you insane Hollywood ass.
1: And because I don't have any athletic, this also helps it worked great with me because I don't have any athletic <laughs> ability so I had to make the most of what I had and all I had was learning was that wrestling stuff or doing the comedy stuff so mixing but making the most out of all the wrestling stuff because I've got no ability to do anything you know I can't do all that stuff or I can only do certain things and, I, and there's a lot I can't do but I, I cover it up with the detail of doing other things sure. so anyway Sorry, no,
0: um, one person I wanted to ask about um, yes. is uh, Otto Vance.
1: Otto, oh yeah. Um,
0: and it's because <laughs> he was a big lad, wasn't he? Otto. Um, people aren't necessarily familiar. He was was he in, sort of in charge of some of the German tours? Or he was, was he? in charge yeah. of him, Yeah,
1: he was the boss. Um, Otto ran CWA, and uh, it was a great promotions to work for. Yeah. That. Um, at the time when I went. Oh, when I was here, it was six months of the year. Uh, you would start off three weeks in Graz in Austria yep. in June. Then you would do seven weeks in Vienna. And this is all in the same building for three weeks. Which is it's, it's crazy if people yeah, get it. Tor- it was running as tournaments. get mm. okay, The catch tournaments. Cat, the yeah, cat, yeah. yeah, catch tournament. In Europe, wrestling's called catch. Yeah. Uh, Three weeks in Graz in Austria, which is a beautiful place. Um, seven weeks in Vienna, probably the most beautiful city in Europe. Mm-hmm. In in a tennis stadium outside tennis stadium, amazing. right next to where the Vienna choir practice, so you could hear them <laughs> sing. Honestly, it was That's just like, unbelievable. Um,
0: Makes it a very cinematic experience, it doesn't was. it?
1: Um, and then there'll be a week of a couple of spot shows going up into Germany. And then you would do nine weeks in Hanover, mm-hmm. and then uh, there'd be a week off, and then you would do five weeks in Bremen, and that would take you to Christmas. That was the CWA. Yeah, uh, There was also Hamburg ran independently of that show, sure. which was in uh, September, which was the same time as Hanover. Yep. That was the big thing you wanted to get on. So, yeah, Otto was the boss. Otto and Peter William, who, who was his partner, and they ran that when I was doing it. But Otto could he could eat, right? I mean. oh, we, oh we could shift some yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact the first first time I met um, Terry Funk and Bob Orton on the same day uh, the last I, I, I did the full year the full six it was nearly six and a half months in 92 mm-hmm. and I came to America in the beginning of 93 so we're in Graz and w- the way the tournaments were you did your tournament but on the last night there was a special show and sure. they always brought in people to add to the show, right? There was the tournament finals, and then there was tag team, and and a few matches from the the guys that were in the tournament. But then there would be other people brought in, and this particular year ninety two, the the people that were brought in were Terry Funk and Bob Orton. Mm-hmm. And so we're having a, a live press press conference in this courtyard of this restaurant, an outside beautiful place, a courtyard, all these cobbled stones and everything, and um, and it's live on the local because there was no everything was done by word of mouth, posters and newspapers. Yep. There was no TV. It's hard for people to under, imagine it's how they could run that. Very old school. Except for this certain times you would have, and it usually would be live, and it'd be on the midday news or something, right, right, local. So the cameras are there, and we're having like a a banquet, basically, In outside, there's all these trestle tables set up, and we've got to do this press conference. I was at the time, I'm not sure if I I was tagging, I was in the tournament, but I was also tagging with another great guy from, uh, it was Yugoslavia at the time, um, Mili Zerno. Um, And I'm not sure if we were, we were in the tag team match. I'm not sure if we were the champions. I don't think, no, we weren't the champions. We were challenging for the championship. So that's why I was there, because not everybody was there. But I was sat at a table and we were sat in suits. And it was like microphones, just like a boxing conference or a UFC conference. Microphones in front of us. The news is there. Now, we're having a meal. And to watch Otto, it was was a... um, it was one of the wonders of, of, of nature really just never seen a man eat as much and that's not a knock <laughs> And it was it was a big strong man you know he was a big heavy fellow but he was a big strong he was a real yeah. proper strong man he used to have the world record for ripping up telephone directories <laughs> so <laughs> many in so many yeah. minutes right and I mean he used to ramse- these great big like well Austrian but Sausages, I'd like, be ramming them in sideways in his mouth, <laughs> sweat coming off him and drinking beer and shots and so just eating all this. Well, Otto had had the bright idea of having Terry Funk and Bob Orton um, <laughs> burst into this, on, live, on the live TV and, 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 and newspaper people there, come, rented two horses, got them at the top of the street, come down the street, come into this courtyard and disrupt this this thing because the um bob Orton was actually facing Fujinami yeah imagine that it's okay, amazing. That incredible it's amazing incredible i i i've stood watching that at, you know i was 23 or something i'm watching that and just going this is just so good cuz you you know just proper pros you know and they, they did a 15 minute match and then Terry Funk was on with Rambo who um, Luke from Montreal, who, who ended up being in the WWE as one of, as, as a South African unit for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. But I Rambo was a big name. He was a yeah. big star in, in, in Europe in, in the, city the, of the Truth group. Commission, wasn't it? The yes. The group? Yep. And he never really, clicked, but he was he was a
0: great baby. I remember face. seeing his weirdly seeing his name in you know the American wrestling
1: magazines. You yes. Before, when I was reading them as a teenager, I've yeah. seen his name. Yeah. yeah. And he, he wrestled as Rambo, and he was he was he was really over there. He was and he was their champion. Because Otto would, like, pretty much retired at that time. Mm. And so, <laughs> obviously, Rambo's there, Otto's there, I'm there. Tony Sinclair was uh, there and just a few, you know, Finley was there because Finley was always a big part of something. And Franz Schumann as well. Um, so we're all sat at these tables and Otto was ramming all this food. and Terry and... and, and and Bob was staying at a hotel somewhere. Well, they got up and you know they knew they hadn't got a day of work, so they'd started on that Austrian beer, which is oh, God. you know let's just have a bottle of beer. Well, a bottle of beer there is going to knock you, yeah. knock you pipe seriously, out, it. Right? Got... It's like serious. Well, it's an hot day and everything. Well, they've had a couple, right? <laughs> so they get on these horses. <laughs> now all we can hear because we're now now the TV cameras are rolling. It's live midday news, and all we can hear is otto's son mikey he's at the top of the street like trying to organize all that he's let them go and they've they've come clippity clopping into the down the street you can hear them getting closer and all these whoops and whoo you know and they're doing all that coming down the street and all the cameras start turning towards them like that and so <laughs> these two horses with terry and bob on the back come like into this thing and <laughs> And because it's cobbled, like the, the, the horses are like slipping with it. They're slipping on. Well, those, those two are just drunk as monkeys, right? They fell off the back of the, these horses. The camera's right on Terry. He walks round to the back of the horse, picks the horse's tail up, points it, uh, up his jacksy like that and said, here's Otto, right into the camera, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Otto's choking on a sausage now, like he's uh, choking. Thinking, <laughs> trying to think what we're going to do. So what I was choking on this sausage right? <laughs> the cameras of are... <laughs> so Bob and Terry just creating as you've probably seen them doing right? just creating mayhem. Yeah. Throwing tables She's up. Terry Funk's amazing at doing amazing that. at doing that. Throwing tables up in there. It's actually worth you going back. There's there's a you might be able to find this on YouTube. In, in one I wasn't there, but I'd heard about this and then I actually saw it. It was great terry had come over to do a championship with otto mm. it should have been bam bam bigelow and for some reason that didn't work out and they brought terry in at last minute and otto was like when terry got there because otto always wrestled great big sure. fellas you know and he's going it's not going to work this and, and tony sinclair knew terry well from japan he said no just trust me and you can see terry come down the, the aisle in bremen and the Lord Mayor, because it's the, the last night. The Lord Mayor of Bremen and, and his wife are sat in the front row with the gold chains. Teddy tips a table up over on him, and and just starts smashing, <laughs> like kicking, kicking the Japanese photographers and smacking them and doing his thing, right. And as the old place wanted to kill him in in, in like two two yeah. minutes, well, that was Teddy was oh brilliant at that, right. So back to this. So they've they've come after th- one of the newspaper guys for whatever reason has obviously watched Terminator 2 or something, or he's, or he's watched... A, he's decided to call Bob Orton uh, MF. MF, but in that Austrian accent. Bob's got him and ch- run him against a tree and choked him out. So he's choked him out. Teddy's like just throwing fists out at everybody. Otto's literally they're giving him like resuscitation on the thing, trying to get this bit of sausage out of his throat. He's all purple. <laughs> and, and I'm just sat there like that, like trying not to laugh and just really choking, trying not to laugh. So that was my first uh, meeting oh, with Lord Teddy Funk Lord. anyway. And that was, it was a, that was my life for a lot of years like that. It was pretty mad. You
0: see, so I'm chatting to you today in, in yes. quite a nice hotel room. Yes. Nice. Now, and this made me think because um, I went to I went to a nice my business partner Glenn. He went to his wedding at the weekend. It was nice, right? And I stayed in a hotel that's far too nice for me to actually be able to stay in. Mm. And it made me think about all the bad hotels I've stayed in. All the uh, just doing stand up. Yes. But certainly, with your beginnings in wrestling, you must have you know, and and you must have stayed in some horrible places. Horrible.
1: Oh, <laughs> horrible. <laughs> I mean,
0: because you, you're WWE employee now, you get treated. Proper causes,
1: yeah. Well, we used to, when you worked in England for Brian or for um, when I worked for John Promotions, basically you always went home every night. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where you were, you just went home every night. Yeah. Unless it was the summertime and you were right down on the south coast and the shows were in that area mm-hmm. because there's just no way you could get back. No. But I used to go on these tours for Oreg Ari- Williams. who was a wonderful Rogue. I loved Orig. He, he was a Welsh promoter Yes, he yeah. was a Welsh promoter. And I, I've, I've, that's one of the great things of my life. I've always been around very funny people, present company excluded, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and wonderful rogues. Yeah. I do like a good rogue, right? Um, and Orig was a wonderful fella. But he was a great promoter, Aurig. Um, and he was very smart. He used to only run certain times of the year and he would take a team and he would go to all say if you were in what he'd run Wales, Scotland and Ireland mm. and you would go to and do all the tiny little villages everywhere in Wales that saw no other form of entertainment yep. you would and do two weeks of that you would go to Ireland and do a month I've done a few months in Ireland when it was still not a pleasant place to be in Belfast if you were mm. English in the, in the the 80s which we don't need to go you know going on about but terrifying yeah terrifying with you know still armed, you know the army with machine guns back to back going up and down the streets mm. and stuff and uh, and then in Scotland you know you do two weeks in Scotland of all these little places like right in the top end of Bucky and places mm. like that you know but they all had little like village halls and you could get a ring in and Two or three hundred people, very smart, because everybody came, right? Yeah, because there's, there's, it's, it's, there's, there's nothing, nothing else. else. So just, but they were always in the winter, mm. and so just some of them guest houses, bread and breakfast places we used to stay were just, you know, you'd be. I, I remember being in Ireland once for a month, a, and in Scotland as well. But it, it felt like, and it it, it pro- probably was every single night. You it, it just cold, damp, horrible guest like bed and breakfast and Peeling the sheets apart because they were that damp and getting in them and just being freezing, you know, and, and just that. But no real horror stories of that. But just that it was just a lot of cold, damp places. And you
0: have to stay in them. I remember reading in Chris Jericho's first book when yes. he was first out in Germany. Oh, the place in caravan and stuff. Like oh, I
1: used to live in a caravan in Germany. Yeah, but that was great. I liked the caravans. Caravans didn't bother me at all because, especially later on, because I used to rent one off Dave Taylor. Hmm. Dave had two. He had really nice ones. I mean, yeah. really nice ones, like big ones. They were just like a little apartment. So you know, because he used to have the gypsy lads and the the, the lads here. Right before he went, and he, he used to, what he because they they never used to have serial numbers on them caravans at one time, and if they do now. So he, he had some his mates with and his brother knocks around with a lot of the gypsy lads because his brother Joe breeds the trotting horses. Right, Right, when they make a lot of money breeding yeah. them. So, but they used to just go rip the chains off the caravan place, he'd hook one up, take it to Hull, and David come along and just hook it onto the back of his car oh. and but then he <laughs> and and so they were all, and he'd have like his, all the stuff, but they were beautiful, I mean really brand new caravans, yeah. big ones as well, all the m- best appliances <laughs> they used to pick, the, like, and pick the best ones, and, um, but then he'd leave them over there and rent them off to other fellas you see, so he had, he always had one, a new one bringing over for himself, but then so I got to rent a couple of his while I was there for for periods of time which was great. Um but I thought you were talking about the the hotel on the Reaper Bone, because I know Chris stayed there. Oh, do. he of, does mention that. Yeah, without that was that was uh, I thought I'd seen been living in Blackpool. I thought I'd seen a lot and and done a lot by the time I was 20, mm. which probably seen and done far too much for a 20 year old. Sure. And I thought I'd, you know, Pretty, until I went to Hamburg at twenty and, and saw what was going on there and just goodness gracious me. Um but the six week I I I stayed in that hotel for just a few days Why my I, I had a caravan delivered to a, a campsite yeah. there. Um most of the time we used to have the caravans at the back of the tent and they'd just like you'd live like
0: because it was almost one like a circus, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but,
1: but this particular year, they wouldn't let us do that. The first year I went, and we had it in a campsite, which was a nice campsite, about three or four miles outside of town. So, um, But I remember staying in that hotel for a few days, and that was... Uh, there, there was one on the Reaper bar, and then a lot of them moved to one called the the Dome Shank, which was opposite the, the big car park where the, the wrestling was in, in, the, in the tent. But I know that was a better... That was okay. We used to meet in there. There was a bar downstairs. But the... Uh, the one on the reaper and I forget what that was called but that was you know I mean it was you can't people can't have. you know it's like you're making all these stories out of back in my day but you know the people, you walk past people being stabbed on the street and stuff and like you know and just all the stuff that was going on there and and like just you know just junkies everywhere and like piled up the back streets and just a lot of lot of all kinds of stuff going on it was all, all a bit odd yeah, yeah it is mad isn't it yeah
0: um, I mean because obviously we've talked about Germany a bit and Japan a bit and obviously you've lived in the states for a, a long time now yeah, but is there any, are any other countries that are perhaps a little bit more obscure that you really enjoyed visiting even if you um, perhaps only
1: went there the once it's probably a really bad thing to say now because of what was going on the first year I went there. But I used to like it in South Africa, and and, and, and this may sound that's no excuse, but I was oblivious to the world's goings on. Yeah. It was just a place you were to there to, so, to wrestle. To wrestle, and yeah. and I, and I, I, you know, I was there to wrestle for Indian people, and I I, yeah. I, I was get, got took over there, and I wasn't really, but I didn't really know. I, I know that sounds silly, but I did till I got there, and I'm like, oh, this is not right at all. Mm. But by the second time I went, that was all. That yeah. was when it had ended. So you know, I didn't feel bad because and, and that was a lot of the reason why I went back. Um, but I loved it there, especially Cape Town was incredible, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place to go. Um, Were you out there for a while as well? I Used to do a month every year. She's not bad, is it? A month trip. No, to sand, was, that was March. That was my March thing from 20 to 24. That was my March every year. I Used to spend right, a name. month in South Africa. Yeah. Um, yeah it was because it was really nice down yeah. there I, I used to I, most of the time stay in Durban which was just like Blackpool with sun so it was nice <laughs> and uh, was It's hey, this week we're going to get a week's worth of sun sun yeah no I'm great do you know I'm, I'm very lucky every time I come back here seems to be the sun starts shining when I'm in usually in April with the, with the tour here mm-hmm. and even November it's never been that bad but the April tour is usually a really nice yep. week so I'm always lucky when I come back here uh, but it, Durban was great, and, and, and Johannesburg was fantastic. Uh, sorry, I never, I never actually spent any time in Johannesburg. Uh, Cape Town was fantastic. Johannesburg, was uh, we used to do that, but we'd literally fly in, mm. get there in the afternoon, do the show, and fly out first thing next morning. So I, I never saw anything of, of Johannesburg at all. I just remember it being like death trying to work there because of the altitude. Yeah. It was one of those, like going to Mexico City or Denver or somewhere. like It's a mile high. And you. Don't is, mean, how, is, Denver, how,
0: is Denver that? Because I know oh, yeah, my dad Denver's went to Mexico map. City and he struggled yeah, with the, the yeah. altitude.
1: But. We're trying to imagine. Don't know how, how good your conditioning is. If you get there and you're, you actually start blowing out your backside, you know. Yeah, it's hard work trying to wrestle
0: there. I am. Um, I did think thing you the other day. We're talking, I was talking to my dad, funnily enough, about, about Granby Halls, which is the first place I ever watched wrestling. I mean, I watched wrestling in Granby Halls uh, when I was. In Leicester, right? Yeah, when I was maybe seven or eight.
1: There's what. The, all the matches that me and Robbie Brookside have, mm. or had, and there was some pretty set a standard of wrestling at that time, kind of a new kind of a. You know, because we were mixing all kinds yeah. of different stuff together. There's only one that survives, and it is a black and white one on YouTube that's from there. Oh, cool. And, and it's the only time that I didn't, for some reason, didn't know I was wrestling that night, or something like that, and I went to, to meet my dad's. No, I did know I was wrestling, but I went to my dad's, and I ended up going out with my cousin in the afternoon, and that was it. We ended up having, like, eaten, eating. eating. And I got back, to, I remember getting back to my me, me dad's house and my mother had done me a great big pile of food and I, I didn't want to turn it down. And <laughs> I, I remember getting there and just being absolutely blowed up because I was so stuffed with food. So I never eat after three o'clock when I was wrestling. Yeah, I, I just could not eat after three o'clock. I just it used to do me, like it was just cool. one of my things, right? And I, like about five o'clock I get this massive big plate of whatever she cooked me, but you know, uh, and, and so I'm dragging near the end of it and I'm I even do a, I, I, there's a couple of times I do a clothesline in it which I hated I, I don't like doing them and I've never liked doing and because I, I just couldn't hardly pick my arms up it was the only thing I could <laughs> do at like a six five minute round wrestling match or something so yeah so back to that no yeah. but
0: um I'm just thinking about uh, both here and overseas like favorite venues that you've wrestled in because yeah. I'm a big believer that the right venue can really make it, it can yeah. add to it can add to a show it is, it is a, a another part of the show another character part of the show yes. I mean was there because Granby Halls isn't there anymore Um but were there I mean, there's boundary places
1: in this country that you really enjoyed yes all? well number one was the Blackpool Tower Circus yeah. uh, the circus was just incredible to wrestle there um, and that just being living literally a you know less than one about three quarters of a mile away from there and just walking up central drive to go there mm. with your bag it was just magic at 18 when i first got to wrestle there and they just just the walking down the steps and you go the back in inside and there's all the little tiny dressing rooms you have to bend down to get through all the yeah. tunnels because it was all compact and everything and just and you, when i was there it was still had animals mm. so you would walk down the back stairs on a sunday night and it was in the dark, and you just walk past certain areas, and you just—I mean, rah, um, there's, ah. there's tigers and lions in cages and stuff, you know, or elephants and that. And crazy, it was just man. really cool. Uh, so there, there, there used to be a, a place in, in when I first went to WCW, a place in South Carolina, um, just a small little building there, and I used to love wrestling there. Um, there's the obvious ones, you know that. Madison square gardens mm-hmm. and and all that um i love doing that um uh, manchester evening new what is it what is it this week whatever it, the MEN arena whatever it whatever is, it that is I, this week yeah. i like doing there that because that's always a great atmosphere um i don't think there's any bad ones for me i because I, I, I you know i've always looked at this job as a privilege and, and like a oh this is all right i might make the odd joke about the odd building when i go but you know, there's just, um, it's always been good. You yeah. know? Norwich was, th- like, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is one of our, I don't think they run it anymore. No, I don't think they, they're probably condemned. But it was in a, we used to, and from Norwich was once a month on a Saturday. Yeah. And from Blackpool, it was a six-hour drive.
0: I've most of my tattoos done in Norwich. I and mean, um, When I was going from Leicester, it was a long way, right. so...
1: 6 hour drive to get to wrestle in a cattle market and it, it truly was there yep. there a, a cattle uh, the, the stuff in there and, and, it, and it stunk of you know cows in and, in every farmer that they are there was one tiny little room at the back where we all got changed in and there was one toilet and a sink that the the fans used as well as us sure. and it was a horror show you know i mean it was just like and a lot of the times and and People will back me up on this. You can ask a lot of them old English wrestlers or people that ever worked there. It it'd kick up. There used to be this group of farmers that would go just to cause fights and stuff. And <laughs> it was uh, it was it was different, yeah. I've seen. I've I've been in. You know, work there when they've been they had all the wrestlers out of the ring and everybody's fighting, and dragging the em, the, the the ring announcer the MC out, John Alice, by his ankles like that, just dragging him and he's dragging him through the ropes and, and, and we're all like trying to get, get out and get everybody out and stuff the first match I ever had there I was in a tag match me and I don't know who against Steve Peacock and Bobby, Bobby Barnes and I'm on the apron and Peacock's on the apron at the time and I can just see this woman coming up behind Peacock with this great big, like, six-inch hat pin, and I'm going, your leg, your leg. I'm trying, like, not <laughs> to shout, too, because right? I don't know what to do. I'm on 18. I'm, your, your, your leg, your, your scotch, your scotch. He's got what, what? Too late. She just come, stuck it right through his thigh, went right through, and it come out the other side of his thigh. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah.
0: Do you ever have, have you ever had anyone attack you? Oh, yeah. yeah. What's, the, what's the worst?
1: Uh, South Africa that not the worst but the first time I, I went there um, the first day was in Peter Maddersburg and I was wrestling it, it was a lot of Indian people and they're very passionate about the wrestling I was wrestling um, my Indian friend well two Indian friends of mine in a, in a tag match and uh, next thing Kashmir singers from Wolverhampton right Darren he's got a knife <laughs> and, and I see this I'm like this just arm coming through with this great big dagger coming towards me like that, and I just kicked the fella in the face and like just carried on with what we were doing, you know, and just kept watching him. Um, just I mean, literally right on the ring trying to stab me. Um, I've had, I've had that a few times, different people trying to at the pleasure beach, you know, I used to get glass to, throwing glasses at you all the time, and that was always that. Um, I had a gun put into me in Jacksonville, South Carolina, by a policeman. Oh God. Yeah, that was, a, that was a, a nice thing. I was wrestling that is as a Bisco and stupidly, uh, me being 25 or 6, whatever I was at the time, in the old Coliseum, there's a stage and on the back of the stage was a big American flag hanging and me being who I was at uh, the time and no. not, not thinking, <laughs> i just beat Larry and uh, when we was doing the, the programme that we did in, in WCW, and, and, and I had a ton of heat at that time doing that anti-American stuff. And I come out and stupidly I was going to pull the flag out and I put my hand on it and like my fingers were just starting to crunch it up like that. And all of a sudden I just felt like a tap in my forehead. And I turned around and there was a policeman who was still on the side of the stage. He just put his gun nice and gently in the middle of me. He said, I suggest said, you don't do that, sir. And I went, I think you're right, officer. And I just completely... Completely went out of character and just just walked off the stage and like, had like what I can only describe as some somewhat of a panic attack. Like I just sat down and started shaking because <laughs> i I'd, I'd been around a few things in my time, but I'd never had an actual uh, a pistol put in. Like, yeah, it's I'd a big seen, step up, isn't it? Yeah, I mean i had been around a lot of knives and bottles and, and the old saw off shotgun and stuff I'd seen years before, and, but I'd never um, I'd never had a gun put in my head, and it was uh, it was a bit different. Um, I'd oh been God. surrounded by machine guns in, 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 in Egypt once when I was trying to uh, relieve their country of some things that they didn't want me to take out of there. And, uh, but that, that wasn't a wrestling thing, that was just on a wrestling trip. Um, um, but a lot of the, the Pleasure Beach, and that's going back to that horror stories of people that had no idea of what we used mm. to put up with there uh, with not put up with, I, I, I liked it, but just people. Did the straights
0: ever win? No. I was going to say, I don't don't recall you ever telling the story of when someone has challenged and what. No,
1: no. This is a thing to that place. It's a psychological game. Nine times out of ten, there was never any. Mm -hmm. If there was, it was people who jumped in the ring once they got, because you don't forget, you get in there and it's a dark room. Yep. And there's bars in there, so that not only are they drunk coming in a lot of people, they're drinking while they're in and they there. More and, more. and they've got real glasses sat at tables because yep. it's a cabaret room. Yep. And they've got a group of friends with them, or they're seeing you beat up somebody they think is one of them, Yeah. Uh, somebody from the crowd, and they get carried away and start either throwing glasses or jumping in the ring. So we always had a team, you know, there'd be people behind us, the fellas to your left, to your right, you know, whatever. So you'd be turning around and, and clocking people, doing whatever you had to do or dodging things. Um, but people would jump in the ring a lot and that's when you had to get rid of them. Mm. But if there was a straight, there was like, you know, I, I really I didn't do any of that till I was probably 20. Yeah. And I wasn't working there much after that. There was just the one summer in 90, 1990, I'd gone to Spain for two weeks uh, for two months and it lasted two weeks a mm. uh, German promoter thought he was just going to run all these holiday resorts in, in Spain and yeah. uh, didn't work yeah. the first night we were in a ball ring in Benidorm that holds I think it's 10,000 people there was 28 people in wow the second night he gave the out fa- I know you've counted yeah. them as well like, <laughs> <laughs> well you can imagine Very that. Precise and, and, and <laughs> they weren't even sat together and then the second night he gave out 300 free tickets and there was 25 in <laughs> So that, that trip, it, we, it, we spent two weeks discussing whether he was good enough to pay us for a month and all mm-hmm. that, and uh, we just started after two weeks, it wasn't going to work. So I, I had six weeks before I went back to, mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to be there at all, but six weeks before I started in Germany in September, and I had a great summer, I came back and I started working at Pleasure Beach every day, and, and doing the local shows, mm-hmm. and worked in a nightclub in Blackpool as well, just to make some money, right, yeah. and it, was, it was a great summer, but that summer... Happened to be when I was the. I'd done a bit of it before and I'd done quite a bit of it before, but this summer was the change in things. Um, there was a lot more. First of all, the rent was getting more and more expensive, and the team was getting fewer and fewer of good fellas. Yep. And there was a few fellas on there who I didn't like who weren't, you couldn't rely on to back you sure. up with stuff. And you needed backup in that situation. Absolutely. And they were always messing about. And uh, I ended up having to. Wrestle a lot of straights, or or hit people for what for whatever reason, and, and I didn't like it. It got to a point where it was getting a bit dangerous and stuff, and, and I was it was a bit of a bad scene. But you know, like there was very few did you ever get in, but the ones that you did, this is this is how that you know it's it's not about being good at anything. First of all, they're all hyped up outside, even mm. the ones who are not drunk or with a group. They're all hyped cool. up. Well then by the time they come in they've got to sit in a corner mm. and we they'd be sat on their own away from all the friends or anybody they knew maybe 15 20 to 25 minutes that's killed them right because yeah. all the adrenaline's gone and they of course what, what am I doing here yeah then they get in the ring it's a 14foot ring that's my home mm-hmm. you know you what I was taught how to do that you just back yourself in a corner yeah. and wait for them to come to you they're not Nine times out of ten, because they've usually got people with them, they're not going to not come to you because they look they f- they're, they're not, look going, they've got they're not going to back
0: point. down. They're not going to back
1: down. So you just wait for them to come to you. That I'm as big as I am and as as long as arms and legs as I've got. They can't really hit because I'm backed in the corner. They, they, I'm not going anywhere. They can't really hit me with anything or kick me that I can't get hold of. And as soon as I've got hold of them or I've either chinned them or I've, I've got hold of them, and that. so it wasn't. Mm. It's not exactly. You know, so like people say, Well, you must be do this. No, I know I know what I'm I could do and it, it's knowing the tricks of the trade to yeah, to course. be able to do that. It's not like you're a great great at anything or a great fighter or anything. It's just it's a pretty and it helps being as, as big as I am and, and, and a big game and not and strong and not frightened of anything, which yeah. is something that I'd learnt working in nightclubs and whatever else. Um so a lot of it was that by the time they got in there they were just shot they didn't yeah. know what to do. occasionally you would have somebody jump in the ring or a cane like there was one time it was a bit embarrassing really, but one little like every set lad was with his friends and it, he jumped in and I was just I was, I was a bit mad really because he, he shouldn't have got in yeah you know if people he wasn't he didn't he just jumped in the ring well somebody should have let me know and this was the time when there was none of that yeah they were messing about yeah. and not watching. I was just mad and so I made the mistake of going out and I could not get hold of this fella and he was just slipping away from <laughs> me and he was like really making me look at right. that. And I thought, oh. eventually I got it. I got him by the ropes and I pushed him out and I just like hit him away. And as he fell on the ape, and these same fellas who had been messing about, who hadn't, they decided to run over and, and stamp all over him. Yeah. And I was really mad at him. It was just horrible, you know, yeah. it was just like things that shouldn't have been happening. But it was happening because not the right people there. Yeah. Um, and then there is, the, 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 this was actually the last time I worked there. Um, and I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it might make for a decent story, but it's not a nice story. Um, so where we used to do the challenges outside, we would walk in. People would come in and pay at the cash, the cash desk to, oh, yeah. to go into the place. Well, there was a secret door. There's oh, actually an arcade there. And you can walk in the back of the horseshoe part of it there's a secret panel yeah. and that goes into the kitchen oh, right. uh, where they used to make the meals for the cabaret show so there's like space it used to be at the time whatever it was space invaders and asterisks and all that and you just push the door I'm dating myself there because it definitely wouldn't have been space invaders at this time it was um, far more advanced by then. <laughs> but you know what I mean and like and, uh, and fruit machines and stuff yeah. so, but there was one gap there was all these machines going down both side yeah. one gap so i'm just walking back i'm i'm in a mask and everything and because I, I always used to wear a mask doing that because you just wanted to if anything happened you could bugger off right yeah. you, don't
0: uh, it, you don't want you don't want to be if you're still working doors exactly enough, well, you don't and
1: want also to... but also wrestling i was wrestling as well yeah. but it was easy money for me yeah it was you know it was a mile from the house and it was just an easy money right so i'm walking back there all of a sudden somebody's on the back of my head so the, luckily the door was there. I've just gone run through the door, dragged this fella off, give him a bit of a slap, and stuck him upside down in a, in this in this dustbin, right, with all last night's <laughs> I, I, like just rammed him in this thing like that. And all last night's what's left of the the, the meals are out. There's bits of chicken and burgers and stuff, and he's, like, bits of lettuce all hanging off him. Dragged him out, opened this secret door threw him into the arcade and shut the door so he's just gone now right he's just he's just you know made a wrong decision and thought he was attacking me and it didn't work out so now i've gone walk through the back and you could come out the side where the ring was there was a bar on the both sides of the ring um and I, i could walk back through there Walk along the side of the bar and out through the cash desk to see how many people had actually come in off that particular time we'd been out to see yep. if it was worth starting the show or not. I walk out and there's three fellas stood there, and it's like something off a off a, a film or something like. there I, I quickly gather that they're friends of this fella. They think he's just come in to challenge me. They don't know that what's happened to him. Mm. They just he's run out, run off, yep. left them. They've paid to get in, and they're stood in a group like that, talking, saying, right, when he gets in, we'll all jump in and talking about doing me in, right? Like, and it's just like that. But I'm stood there, like, I'm, like, six inches taller than all of them, and I'm just stood there with a mask on, just, like, literally over one of them's shoulder, and then they sort of realised that I was there and looked at me like... Ah. And, and, and I said, before you do anything to me, I suggest you go and get your friend, because he's... I've, He's outside covered in lettuce, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I've just pushed me, I've just, I used to do that a lot. I used to get these fellas, but they don't know what to do when you actually walk at out, them. Out. Yeah. I used to, I don't know, just push through the three of them and just push them to one side and walk through and they don't know what to do now, yeah. right? They've been rumbled. So I go, I'm i walking out the cash through the, the, the doors. This fella's paying to get back in. He's got bits <laughs> of lettuce hanging off him and all bits of burgers and everything stinking. And he's to get his mates right. So I'm stood behind him now. He doesn't see me. And I'm stood behind him in a in my, my, my gear and a mask and I'm that. And the woman's looking at me. I said, let, let him take his money, you know. And this is where it got. I'm not not proud of this at all, but it was just a situation and, and being the way it was getting at the time where you were yeah. always on edge. And um, this fella paid his money and like he turned around, and saw me, and took a swing at me. And I, and I had to and it's not a nice thing to say but I picked him up and threw him down the stairs that the big concrete yeah. he just and so I went and did the show and I mean the big stairs he went right to the bottom of them but it was just that thing you know you're just in that and it's not nice it's not nice at all but but you
0: got um, you got to be on edge all the time well, in that situation well it?
1: yeah and it, and that's what I, we did the show next thing the police are there and um, they they said like get off you yeah. know they, they all knew us and that get off and like, unfortunately, that fellow was still in hospital three days later and, that, and he, he came out of it. But that was I, I just said, like, this is ridiculous. We keep doing this because it's um, things were really taken off for of me with the wrestling. Yeah, I didn't need to be there. It was just for a bit of extra money and, and as a favor to Bobby Barron, because yeah, he he always used to love using me when I was there. And I, and I thought, I just need one bit of trouble now. And that's the end of this career that looks like it's coming
0: but also as well, yeah. You you were at the time mature enough to know yeah. no, this is the I need to go down this path. This path, and yeah. you know, and it's yeah. and you 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 know you went down. Yeah, the road and, the road and the I, you know, because
1: I never never enjoyed. Like I, I like the buzz of all that stuff, yeah. but when it started getting to that kind of thing, when it, and it was like that all the time. That six weeks there, it was just non-stop problems and and just like having to, outside just getting into you know. Well, nothing, nothing people that you people because the the wrong people the, the the fellas that weren't that were good that you could always rely on to to watch your all that and and to watch you back into and, and just to watch each other hmm. they weren't there and because and he wasn't paying he, he couldn't afford to pay because the rent was so much and it was just it wasn't good well I
0: remember because I think I said this to you before because when I was when I was in my sort of early teens, yeah. my dad was spending a lot of time in Blackpool because he was shop fitter. So his company was refitting loads of stuff. He did all the three pairs in Blackpool, mm-hmm. he did the towel ballroom and all that sort of stuff. And it would have been at around that time I was going to Blackpool a lot with my dad at weekends. Yes. You would have been there. Yes. Um, so, but I remember, I remember seeing it all kick off Outside a pub one day and thinking, mm-hmm. and it was it was or it was football. It was to do with football at the time, yeah. but I remember thinking, well, it can be a bit, it could be a bit tastier. And people forget that I'm from Leicester, so I know, I used to go to Blackpool a lot when I was little. It was Skegness, you know. Yeah. There's, there's certain towns yes. everyone goes to, and there's always the capability for it to kick off. And it would have only have got, you know, when you started doing that sort of stuff, it would have been much more of a carnival atmosphere, I imagine, than when you were getting a bit older doing that sort of stuff.
1: Well, no, I mean. People seem to forget, they, they seem to gloss over the fact that the 70s and 80s, it was the most violent time ever to be on. <laughs> I
0: suppose, yeah. And
1: anybody, who I don't know what they seem to think it's violent nowadays compared to how it used to be then. It was mental. Yeah. It was always kicking off around Blackpool, everywhere. It was everywhere. In, right, I, I got glass when I was 17, going in, I just put my head inside Uncle Peter Webster's door which is opposite, there's a pub opposite Central, but I just walked, literally walked through the door as there was a mass battle going on and just somebody <laughs> stuck a glass in, in, in the side of me at, at 17. You know, I, sh- I shouldn't be going in pubs at 17. <laughs> nobody, nobody, you know, that was just part yeah. of normal. Life. Nobody ever questioned you then. I was in I was in clubs and pubs from being, as soon as I moved there at 16, I just didn't drink, you know. Mm. I was just always out, though. Um you know a lot of my friends are working clubs and and whatever else, and meet my friends out in wrestling. You know, That's still a lot of them working that trade up there, so it it was uh, just part of life. But it was always going. Was just, <laughs> you, I mean, this this is just it was always like that, and it got it cleaned up for a while in in eighty eight, where everybody was stopped drinking and all started. Uh, so when all the the rave scenes started, and it was yep. nice for a while, and because everybody was just dancing. Everybody loved each other, everybody instead. danced for a while, and then it just all went a bit sour again, and then it went really sour, like I say by 1990 because everybody was mixing everything, and they, mm. they were getting off the buses in blackpool you know and, and just in a right state, everything and yeah. there was a lot of trouble at that time, yeah
0: one thing I know Blackpool's a big part of of we talked about comedy a lot, yes and. That would have been because the, the main reason I like comedy is my dad took me to see comedians when I was I was in Blackpool with him at yes. the weekends, and you must have seen a lot of people yes up there. That and I always see see you now because you will still you'll retweet like certain clubs and and venues up there because you care about it. It's a city, yes. it's a town that you love, and yes. you care about variety. I, I,
1: I absolutely Blackpool is. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for Blackpool in, in so many ways for the wrestling for one because mm. I would never have got in the wrestling otherwise like I say there was no wrestling school yeah. that was your only way in was that place um, and just the comedy and the entertainment and and just the growing up that I did there and the people that I met and the, the situations that I was in that got me to work, you know to, to be the person I am but the entertainment there was incredible and the mm. comedians um it was just one place after another that was always there was great, you know, pros on that knew the jobs. M- not what your style of comedy today is considered. It was a working class kind of a comedy, but that worked as far as the, the being able to adapt that to wrestling. Sure. It's perfect because your style of comedy doesn't work to adapt to wrestling. No, no. That's why I can get away with. The, the entertaining the, the more of the old-fashioned kind of comedy and, and, and put-downs and stuff, that or whatever it may be, and, and just the, that worked great for being... A, a, a You know, if you go back and watch a lot of that early WCW stuff of mine, there's a lot of Nick Miller gags in there and a lot of things that were thrown out there. They used to get eaten, but it was just me saying little thing things. Oh, and, and not just Mick, but lots of other people that yeah. were all... But he was... You know, there was always people because like,
0: I remember we talked about Mick Miller before, and I've, mixed, I've mixed watched, I watched I watched Mick Miller when I was a kid, and I think that's the one of the reasons best. I always knew when you were going to get on, even that you know you liked him. Mick
1: it. Mick was the best for many reasons. I've always considered one of those old co- comics. You watch his routines, and he was not like any of those comics no. at all. A- anything but well,
0: the fact that he's done the Edinburgh Fringe Festival a couple of years yeah. ago because he's still. Yeah. He's still lauded as as an alternative comedian. He's still lauded well, he, as being. If you go
1: it. back and watch him, he was there. He, 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 although he was part of that group, he never yeah, saw, he never did any jokes that anybody else did. He did some routines. He did some incredibly good routines. He never told any like Irish gags or anything like that. He, he didn't didn't do any any kind of stuff that was considered not politically correct yeah. in any way. It was just very funny gag and, and off the wall stuff. You know, mm. like just mad stuff that he'd say, and you'd just go. It's, just brilliant this fella you know and so and I I was lucky enough to get to watch him all the time yeah it's only weird because I only recently actually no no that's not true actually I recently reconnected with him I met him a great friend of mine uh Peter Thompson who used to wrestle Steve Fury he was at his wedding in 1989 or 90 or something and uh I got to talk to him a bit then but he uh like now we, we sort of keep in touch but I used to go and watch him and he was always on somewhere and I'd go and watch him and then there was a fella who passed away not long ago called Jack Diamond who was a great comic mm. I mean he he, and he, he was um, somewhat of a camp comic you know but he was just magic of put downs and stuff and then there was at at, um, at um, Mary England there was Junior Johnson who was a Maori guy the mad Maori uh, he he did like he worked there for years, and then in the in the late eighties he went to Benidorm and spent yeah. the rest. He, he he died not long ago in Benidorm. Um, but th- these fellas were knew how to control loud crowds, it's a skip. and to sit them down and to shut them up and to make them listen and to be funny. And I used to go and just sit in the back and watch these fellas and watch how they control, and also getting to see. All the the really big acts of the day as well, and all the peers and the, the, the opera house and the grand theatre, you know. And you go and see all these people, and ah, uh, you can and just little bits of that and take a bit of that. And how we'll have, have they managed to and go to the circus all the time as yeah. well, you know? Because they get, you know, it's still the circus. They get rowdy crowds as yeah. well, and just doing little tricks that they do. And it was all, I was always thinking about what I can do for this wrestling job, not just be a wrestler because some people, you know, it. it my only connection to to the world really is Twitter because I, I, I had to have an account to begin yeah. with but it's been such a learning thing for me because so many people say I, I, you know because I've done so much most people only know me from a certain period of time yeah and they say I like when you do I like when you but when you, it gets interesting when they start Oh, now I didn't realize when I was young. I used to hate you, but now I watch it and I realize what you were doing, and yeah. and you see, and and now I understand where that the, the comedy comes in. But I, it used to make me mad, or it used to do this. Well, yeah, that's what I wanted it to be, right? I get that all the time. Why did you used to say you mangas? So, because you've just asked me about it. That's why I did it because I knew it. Because the first time I I saw it written on the board and I said it purposely the way I, I read it. And somebody went, no, it's and I went, right, that's staying in the act, and and, and it's just little things that you pick up and like a. Now that I, you know, I've, I've done all these different things that I've said to people who influenced me. Probably the number one influence in most of the stuff I do would be Larry Grayson, mm. because so go, from two miles away from where I grew up, yeah, as well. <laughs> so if you go back and watch just all the the the, the Lord Stephen stuff, and then the. The stuff before I became like when I went back to Raw before I, would, I was the King of the Ring. The, mm. I was doing that over, and when I started growing my hair yeah. longer and that. But there's a lot of that, a lot of his mannerisms and a lot of stuff that I do that because I, I was such a big fan of his and just like that that kind of stuff worked perfectly for my character yeah. and there's so many people. That I, I was watching something the other night and I, and I know it's still my favorite thing I ever did was that. The, I, I'm not. I didn't watch this, but something that reminded me of it—that Vegas showgirl thing—which I, 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 I did all these different people, but there was I, I was actually watching because I just recently read a biography about Hilda Baker, and I remember seeing her doing the the thing when I walked down doing the. Yeah. If you go on um, YouTube, she had a, a series called "Not on Your Nelly." <laughs> first episode of the first seats yes the first episode of the first series um, I think it was it might be the second one. I think it was the first one because I watched two the other night she does that exact walk with a going yeah. on which I'd seen all those years God knows how many years ago in the 80s or some 70s or something and I remembered it and I did that on that walk there, and I'd mm-hmm. only ever seen that one once. and I, I had no clue when I put it on the other day that it was on there and it was move for move what I'd remembered from 20 odd year or 30 years ago do you think
0: because I think that's one of the reasons that, because you've you, you've done so many different things in your career, so you've yes. you know you've you've done the stuff where you've been a stiff technical wrestler, and you've done the stuff where you've a been what? You technical wrestler. Do, sti-
1: do you say stiff? Yeah, I'm not stiff. But it, right, I work solid.
0: But but outwardly, like when you watch if the match I mentioned earlier on about you and Shinya Hashimoto, you yeah. watch something like that and go, all oh, right, okay, I get that.
1: And then I only found this out recently. I was I was at, um, I was out with the... Gabe and, and Sal from Evolve and they had a, a Japanese couple with them and I didn't know this and it's not something I'm, you know, like I don't, people ask me, what's your favourite this year? But I don't know, it's just work, right? It's whatever. I, I didn't know I was the only person, at the time anyway, the first person to ever kick out of a Hashimoto DDT. Really? Yes. It's a great fact. In that second match that I had, the one that's two that were filmed, yeah. the second one from the, the on the WCW it's tour. Quite a decent honour, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I, well, uh, that might mean something to someone. It's just another day at work. I can guarantee me, someone listening because, to this, it means a lot to because them. Because he, he, you know, he really like, you know, it and him really got on that, well. And
0: but, but this is the you you've been able to do that side of it, and you've yeah. been able to do the the comic side of it. Because I know whenever you do the the stand up shows, people are always the question that comes up quite a lot is you, people saying to you, oh, "Wouldn't you rather have done more wrestling rather than be comical?" And no, you God, enjoyed doing. No. It. And. But oh, do you I think doing it. No, anyone who's coming through wants to be a wrestler now? They need to. It, it feels to me, and it's something of advice I give on our sort of small training school. Is I'll say you need to be aware of other stuff. You yes. can't just you can't just watch nothing but wrestling and go. I want to be able to do these moves and not think of the the bigger the bigger picture of well, the character.
1: You can to start with because mm. that's what's going to get your foot in the door. Yeah. But then you've got to adapt. Mm. I mean, this is not a nice thing to say, but career wrestlers, the days of career wrestlers are over with the exception of one or two people. You know, I mean, when I talk about career, I mean a 20-year career. Yeah, sure. So you're going to have, you know, you might get a a, a period of time where whatever you're doing, you're going to have to adapt at some point, even the best of the best. Mm. That's what's so great about when you watch certain certain characters can morph into to different into people certain characters like the undertaker who can disappear for a while and yeah. so that keeps him fresh and 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 still reinvents himself every time he comes back in mm-hmm. a different form um people like steve austin and kurt Angle who are quite comfortable with themselves will do comedy when they have to yeah and do it very, very well, because they are, that's the the, the key to that, is you can't do comedy if, you, if you're if self-aware of being, trying to, looking foolish. Sure. You've got to be completely comfortable with yourself, and then just be able to do it, right? Because then it works. Mm. If you're trying to worry about looking like a tough guy, that's not going to work. And I love that stuff. See, I, I don't consider myself anything, I'm just me, right? So I don't, other people seem to make these things up, their ideas about what they think I am, but I'm just somebody who likes doing entertaining stuff yeah absolutely um, but you're going to have to you know you see somebody like Shawn Michaels who was the best at what he did in every sense but knew when it was time to go to do DX and, and, and be entertaining mm-hmm. but then when he'd kick it into gear and be serious Sean was the best you know knew when to do stuff and yeah. when not to do it and, and I think that's will help you stay around longer in this day and age there's only going to be one or two that can just there's only going to be one or two people who can do the same act sure. and, and keep it that way. The rest of us have got to change and adapt and be entertaining and, and it's good when you can do it all. You know, I, I I was never a big star in this, but I was always, I always knew, uh, as, as this may sound a bit of an ego thing, I was never considered the best at anything, but I can go toe to toe with anybody in this business doing anything. Yeah. Whether it's wrestling, I might not be the best talker, nowhere near the best talker. But there's nobody can get, a, I, I couldn't go toe to toe with. Sure, they may be able to do things better than me, but I can hold me on with anything. Mm-hmm. And that's all I ever tried to do is to get, like I can have a, a, a really serious wrestling match. I can do, I can be on first match, which I'd love doing with the right people to do more entertaining stuff. Or, but you could throw throw you into a. a a championship match and have a a credible kind of thing that would be believable and and in a different different aspect of doing this so it's just learning what different things as you go on but when i started out i started out with not thinking i was going to be any good as a wrestler because i knew i had no skill yeah so i made up for that when i was 16 17 which is some horror stuff horror pictures now when you see me but I always had nice flashy gear and a good you know, air, I, a good air and spent me money on clothes because it made up for the fact that I couldn't do anything. <laughs> and most wrestlers in this country had black boots and trunks on at sure. the time. So, but then once I started to wrestle, then the air got short and the the gear got more, you know, inter- what they used to call international trunks, the uh, yeah, polo neck trunks and <laughs> uh, uh, and just but but that that was that part of my life, yeah. you know. But then. I got to America and they wanted me to be just a serious wrestler at first and it wasn't quite working because you got to have the kind of people, you got to have time and you've got to have the people to wrestle. But then character-wise, it, that, was, that was everything that I'd ever, the stuff that I'd been around, the comedy, great comedy wrestlers in England that I'd either wrestled or watched a lot, and all the comedy that I'd, I'd watched growing up, then I added that to it all, which all worked. And um, so those old WCW videos... So. As oh, well. ridiculous! Right, some of it. You, it's a bit oaky when you're watching it now, but they were good at the time, oh, you know. And then they were like, but like I say, that's what I always wanted to be was that carry-on character, right? It's, which, if you go back and look at it, has that—that's what it was. And uh, so you've got to adapt, and so it's good to, to learn how you got to—you got to get good at wrestling first to really, in this day and age, to get and sort yeah, of get anybody sure. to pay any attention to you. But then you've got to figure out. So I like I always tell people I see them at the at the performance center and they did I I I got my money there, you know once a month or whatever I go, and I go to a promo class and and, and I'll and I'll see the same people doing it. and it's a really good promo but I've seen so and I'll say like well. You know you can do that. What's the point? of keep doing it. Mm. We know you can do that. This is the this is your time when you've got to explore and yes. throw yourself in the deep end and if you fall on your backside good because mm. i say that a lot but the only time you get good at this is when you fall on your backside a thousand times you know mm. so you find what works and what doesn't well that's the perfect place to do it. but in in your own career you've got to find out what works what doesn't sure. if you can don't be so take yourself if you, if you take yourself too seriously in this job you might as well pack it up mm. Because you know that's another thing. This is a bent business, and you've got to you've got to <laughs> just you know you go go and go and do 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 some MMA or something if you if you want to be a tough guy. Because if you, it's just not it's it, it's not not the job we're in. You know you, no. you you can you can play that role some certain times, but it's only going to get you so far for so long. Because you can be a big thing in in the company you're working for, but being that kind of a, a wrestler, but you come to go to another company and there's somebody better at you than that, mm. then all of a sudden your act's worthless, Yeah. so you've got to reinvent, and it's the ones who can reinvent themselves and just morph into stuff and do it far better than I can do it, that, that can stay around longer, because otherwise it's going to be hard I think, I think that the thing of being really good at your job though will always get you a, a certain yeah. um, certain kind of amount of work anyway mm. not as much as it used to but you, you can get you a certain amount of work but that's been there's a, and there's a lot of that and this can sound horrible sometimes but a lot of people think they're a lot better than they are <laughs> um, as well you know so there's, there's one or two that are really really skillful and can morph in and out mm. but usually find they're the ones who don't take themselves too seriously and can change in and out of stuff and work any style and whatever else Um last thing before I let you go because I've took up loads of your time is um, you're. I mean, you're going to be involved in wrestling forever, aren't you? I mean, you've got. You could only, I. I never. I never. I never think like that because I think that's. The, you start going downhill when you start, and I truly don't. Every day is, is like the first day. Vince McMahon says that that's one of his, his things, and I, I truly believe. In it. every day is the first day on the job, and and I always and I, I say that to people who wrestle. I give them that advice, which is another piece of advice Pete Roberts gave me. Every single night you walk through the curtain, never assume that anybody knows who you are. Mm. And I think that is the key to success in this business. Never assume anybody knows who you are or knows anything about you. And if you think like that, you'll always have that look of, I'm here to compete in your eyes. Mm. And you've got to win over your audience and you're not going to take things for granted such as, why should they boo me? Why should they love me? You're not just going to go through the motions of doing your moves without you know, I, I explain this to people all the time, if you're supposed to be a villain, right? If you go to the movies, you're not sat there with the script, you don't know who the good guy they they, they have to do bad things so you understand it, not just going, I'm a bad guy. But, uh, you have to do things that I, I don't see many heat spots anymore. I see cut off spots. Mm. Well if I've never seen you before and you do something with a cut off spot, you're basically just doing a move better than the fellow on with so you're beating him to the punch. If I see that then I've lost interest in that fella. If I if I'm not I've never seen you before. I've lost interest in a fella you've just done that to, because you've just outsmarted him. That's the way I look at it as a, mm-hmm. as a as a grown person. So why do I care when you beat him up for the next three or four minutes? Consequently, why do I care when he makes a comeback at the end of it? Because you didn't do the right thing to make me understand why I shouldn't like you at the beginning. And it's a simple concept, but it's lost on a lot of people. Yeah, they want to do. Me- this not, job's not about doing moves; it's about selling emotion. And when you can do both, you, you just do the right thing at the right time for the sure. right reason. Then you get magic, right? And mm. and it's and that's dependent on your crowd. Some crowds just want a certain thing. That's great. Then you do what they want. But if you're working on a, 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 a in, in the overall scale of things, you've got to be able to tell, sell emotion and tell stories. But that thing of. Walking through the curtain and never assuming that no, I used to do that every night. Nobody, right before I go out, nobody knows me, and then you have that look. I'm here to do business. Or I'm, I'm really. These people are really beneath me, or that phone and thing stopping me making a living. That's your yeah. number one thing in this job. The person across the ring from you is going to stop you making a living, and that's the way you could go into any match. Mm-hmm. I hate when people say. Well, it wasn't a good match. We had a cold match. We had no, no angle or no story. Of course you've got a story. Your story is that if he beats you, you don't eat. Yeah. He's going to eat or he's going to eat better than you and he's going to move up the card. That's your story. Anything else you get to work with is a bonus. Mm. That's the number one thing and most people don't look at it like that. Well, if you, you have that look in your eye and you just move in a certain way with that bit of more intent, it's got to be intent to everything. So to me, that that can really help you. But I also think that way with this job. I don't ever take anything for granted. It's a healthy way to be. I don't ever wake up and think I'm owed anything. It's like I've got to work for what I've got today, and and to keep what I've got, and not take and not take liberties with it, and not think that I'm something I'm not, and just keep going and keep working like that to to make this as not not for me anymore. You know, not for my. Well, I'm still working on my character. I can't help that, <laughs> and whatever else and stuff, but. To help other people or to get whatever else it is in the job, it, it you can't because there's too many people. Or, uh, I hear it all. It's, it's funny all these people jumping on the bandwagon now about you know uh, this how, how great NXT is and how great women dressing is. I can't remember them doing that a few years ago when they were you know when it was all we were just putting it all together right. But it's and all these fellas that go well I can help all the young fellas. Well, what 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 do you actually do? What can you actually do, or what do you do apart from just sit there and talk about it? Do you actually do anything to help anybody, or just criticize them and, and run them down, or tell them about what you know, what how good you were in your door, or everybody's wrong that now? Yeah. It's not wrong now, it's just different, of course. And if you look at it like that and like, right, well, let's make the most of what we've got and let's let's make it work, right? And so, you've just got I, I, I never ever so anyway, I'm sorry, but. It'd be nice if I was in this job for the rest of my life. I mean, you Let's you
0: you away. you enjoy. Yes. You clearly enjoy your role with NXT, yes. don't you? Yes. And and it and I always think it's like well, when people come to see your live shows here, um, they're always you always get someone asking a question about how to make it in wrestling. You always impart your advice, and it's always you can see people going, "Oh yeah, that all makes total sense." Because it's like you just said, you don't have that kind of. Everything was better in my day, no. attitude. You Perhaps have no right. I, I will give you everything I
1: know and try If you think and... that then you, you really are daft. Dave Taylor comes round my house a lot and and he would come round a while back and he went He just watched Seth and somebody in a match the night before and he went Any of these old they won't say the word he said, but <laughs> any of these old swines that say that, that it was better in our days, it's not gonna get any better than what they just did last <laughs> night, he said you know, he said, we hardly did anything, you know. He said, you, you look back, he said, and there's certain things... He said, but the, the quality of what people do nowadays is, you know, sometimes it's, it's just it's just having that outlook of, let's, you know, the, the actual athletes and that are far better and the things that they can do are far better. And if they just... If they figure it out when to do the right things, they're, right, they're far better, really. <laughs> I mean, you can... You go back and watch a lot of that old stuff. It doesn't hold up a lot of it at all. It's, ooh, and, you know, especially in people who you thought were really good. There's, there's some that, you, like, and it's... Some hold up incredibly well and some just don't. And you're always going to have that generation who, you know, didn't like... When I started, everybody... Not everybody, but a lot, most of the old wrestlers thought Rocco and, and, and Marty Jones had killed the business. Yeah. Had absolutely killed because they did too much. And then you know, I've even heard when, when Ric Flair was and, and Ricky Steamboat were doing their matches, the older wrestlers were saying they'd kill the business because they did too much. And it's going to keep happening. And it? it's going to keep happening. Yeah. So it's it's just as long as you have that outlook of well, it's just it's just make it work, right? Let's yeah. try and make it work.
0: Um, I'm going to let you get on with your day, but um, do you need to do you need to plug anything
1: really? I've got some nice chutney for sale. <laughs> 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 so, it's just well, oh, That'd a huge, be amazing if that huge, was legit. Huge jars here. I just knocked up before you came.
0: <laughs> you're, uh, uh, you're real King Regal on Twitter, aren't you? Um, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Your and and that,
1: that's a that's a thing now. and it, the, the more people, I have never tried to get one follower. Follower, as you can imagine, <laughs> as you as you know, because you follow me. It's not like I put anything on there to try and beg for f- followers. But the more you get, the more I, I don't look at it as, I, or I don't have time, you know, because yeah. I'm a bit. I used to try and answer a lot of people back and I feel bad now that I just it's too much stuff to do and I don't have the time to actually sit and answer everybody's question in detail mm. which I used to try and help them with but anyway yeah so that that's that and then I don't there's nothing really to plug I mean just just keep watching wrestling not and not just you know every, all wrestling just keep watching wrestling and live entertainment and that includes. Theatres and comedy show clubs and and whatever else, especially comedy clubs, because Jim shut more of them down in the recession. (laughs) Please please go and bring your local comedy clubs back. But any kind of thing, go and watch live entertainment, because people are so injuring their lives just sitting watching the TV all the time. You've got to go out and experience things live and see what's fun about going out and actually interacting with people. It's nice.
0: You know. So it's a good final word to um, have. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Regal. Thank you. Um, uh, I'm going to go and you can question, question my comedy
1: career. Yeah, you don't have to call me Mister all the time, you know. Sorry. All right, Sir Regal. Oh, thank you. That's better, dear. Thank you.
0: What a legend that man is. Thank you once again, William Regal, for giving me a couple of hours of your time, having a chat with me, mercilessly bullying me at points, but in the main, just I, I could. If you're familiar with listening to this podcast, you'll be aware that I talk a lot. I mean, just these intro and outro bits. I talk a lot. I know I do. It's the nature of my personality. I am a motormouth. I think that's the least I will ever talk in two hours. Is spending time with William Regal just means I just want to sit and listen and learn and understand everything that he likes about wrestling, everything that he wants to pass on to other people about wrestling, and his experience. You know, in over thirty years of of being a wrestler is is just invaluable, and I cannot get enough chat. I genuinely, if 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 he didn't have to be somewhere, that po- this podcast could have been four or five hours. I could talk to him. For that long, and I'm super, super grateful uh, to Mr. Regal for spending some time with me. And um, uh, a few things I would say: if he does any more stand-up tours, um, I mean, there's every chance I'll be at one or two of them in the future. But even if I'm not, go and see him. He is fantastic at doing stand-up, and it's not. I'm not going to class it as spoken word because it's stand-up. He has learnt from comedians in Blackpool and entertainers in Blackpool. And he has some of the best comic timing I have ever seen. And bearing in mind, I spend my time around comedians. He is genuinely, naturally funny. And listen to him tell his stories. And I deliberately, having known the stories that he does on stage, I don't think we touched on any of the stories he did on stage um, during the course of this podcast. So if you get a chance to go and see him in the future when he's over here with WWE, then please go and see him do his stand-up tours. Because they are fantastic. He is real King Regal on Twitter. Um, he tweets a lot about Blackpool. He tweets uh, a lot of very entertaining photos of his uh, of his sort of past days, and he's super supportive of everybody who's coming through at NXT and everyone who's coming through at WWE in the Performance Center. And he deserves credit for that. He's, he, you know, he's super enthusiastic about the future of wrestling, and good on him. And obviously, if you want to watch his stuff from the past. Sign up for the WWE Network if you haven't already, and go and watch his history in WCW, his his great runs that he's had in WWE as well, and just enjoy watching a legend because he's great. Anyway, listen, um thanks for listening. Uh, I'm fairly sure that we've attracted a few new listeners by having uh, such an excellent guest on this week. Let's let's hope you stick around. Remember, subscribe to Tuesday Night Jaw. Tell people about it, and you know, let's let's all be friends from now on. Wrestling friends, yeah, forever. Don't forget me, my website, com. Uh, the Tuesday Night Jaw specific one is com slash TNJ. And my Twitter, at Jim Always use the hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw if you tweet me about wrestling, because I get a lot of tweets and I just like to know that I'm talking to decent wrestling people and not having to fight off people who support different football teams to me. Um, my Facebook is Jim. Uh, sorry it's Jim Smallman not is facebook.com slash Jim Smallman Comedian my wrestling company progresswrestling.com demand-progress.com next week heavily pregnant wife who we thought was in labour a couple of days ago permitting um, there should be a round table discussion of Battleground and the draft uh, myself Scroobius Pip a couple of other guests will be recording that in London it is dependent on whether or not my baby chooses to arrive uh, but if uh, if he doesn't, then that will be happening next Tuesday, a roundtable episode discussing Battleground, discussing the draft. So obviously get questions to me at Jim Smallman, hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw. ahead of that. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you again to William Regal for being a guest. And we will see you next week. Cheers.